Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, May the 7th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Welcome home, Steve. And on the line with Ms. Mara Wood. But you guys never saw me coming back. (laughs) (laughs) Two weeks in a row. Stephanie Wood, do you make it clear to everyone that she was going to be on the show this week? She wanted to be on the show this week. This is my fault. We got delayed a day because I was very sick yesterday. Make it your fault. You were sick. Well, yeah, for the first time in how many years? But for once, it's my fault, not Stephanie's okay, fault. Okay, so I'm gonna, gotcha. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it. Um, so Stephanie was not with us this week, although she really wanted to be. Um, so yeah, I was super sick. Got like a hundred degree plus fever. Nice. Uh, I haven't had like a real, real le- good fever, a legit in a fever in a long time. <laughs> I had forgotten how much it sucks. Mm-hmm. It really sucks. I it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I woke up on Monday morning and I had like a little scratch in my throat, and I was like, okay, it's allergies, or I'm getting a little cold, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you can hear like I'm a little stuffed mm-hmm. up now, but like, uh, and I was feeling, you know, it was pretty bad sore throat. But over the day, it dissipated, and and by the time it got to be like. Late in the day, I was like, okay, like it's moving up to my nose. I can feel myself getting stuffed up. So it's just going to pass. Probably tomorrow when I wake up, I'll have a cold, but I'm taking a bunch of vitamin C, and so hopefully it'll pass quickly. And then I went and saw The Avengers Age of Ultron for the second time on Monday night with with Jeff Schaefer, who's host of the Man Cave podcast. And because uh, he sees those movies when I see them the second time, every time, because he likes to ask me questions while they're going on, because <laughs> he doesn't understand everything that's going on. He so must I, be awesome to sit near. It's fine because I've seen the movie already. No, I'm talking yeah. for other people. Oh yeah, he's not loud about it, but he's definitely he's definitely like, what's going, what, what's up with that? Like what? I had a little bit of that too. <laughs> but the best thing about watching a movie with him is that he doesn't have like the. He's not jaded by any of like the the comic book stuff, so he's so he just reacts the way like you're supposed to react to a movie. Yeah, and it's good. it's very fun to sit next to him and like hear those reactions uh, when they happen. But I saw the movie and I felt okay, like I felt the best I had felt. And then uh, I got back home at probably eleven, and I like you know got myself ready to go to bed and I uh, lay in bed and it just all of a sudden I started feeling like I had a fever coming on. You know, like I my, my cheeks felt hot but i was shivering a little bit Ooh, and i was like sign. i was like okay so i'm getting a little fever so i took i had already taken um some dayquil like not that long before but i was like i need a little bit more because i've the liver. So i took one of them and it it definitely like, it abated it for a little while but then probably probably around like two or something like that i just i woke up and i had like a full-on fever and i was having like fever dreams Ooh, like hallucination nice. type. Like not like those. not like total hallucinations <laughs> but just not being able to tell the difference between being asleep and being awake and i realized I, like, I need to get up and get some aspirin 
or something and get the water. But the la- every time I thought about getting up, I would fall back asleep for oh, five, I hate that. for five or ten minutes, and I'd wake up again and have to like get up my gumption to get up again <laughs> every single time. So it was like a really bad couple of hours. Finally, I forced myself up. I got some, you know, I got some more like uh, you know fever reducer stuff, and I took it. And then like probably half an hour, forty five minutes later, I got to sleep. And, you know, I slept for a couple of hours, but I woke up the next day and I was just, I could barely move. I was both exhausted and sick at that point. So that's not enough rest. You can't no. do that in little bits and pieces. No. no. So mm. I just kind of stayed in bed all day yesterday. And well, I said on the couch, I didn't say in bed, but I stayed on the couch all day yesterday. And I watched the three episodes of Game of Thrones I hadn't watched. <laughs> and then I watched two episodes of Arrow that I hadn't yet watched. So I was all caught up on all the shows that I was watching and it was noon <laughs> and i didn't know what to do with myself for the rest of the day so i watched a documentary on netflix called showrunners which is about people who run like the tv shows on air and like what mm. their jobs really are like and that was very interesting yeah. and then i watched five and a half episodes of the 100 which is a show that's on the cw which is kind of like half lost half Battlestar galactica interesting uh, okay it's not really as good as either of those shows but it's fun enough and uh it's much, you know, it's much like when you watch like Arrow or something, where you're like, oh, I look past like the weird drama bits that are like a little bit too CW-ish. Yeah, there's a good mystery here. There's some good ideas here. There's some fun sci-fi weirdness going on here, uh, which I which I like. You know, it's it's it, the basis of it, it's been like a couple hundred years or a hundred years since the, a nuclear apocalypse. The apocalypse hit the world, and all these they they evacuated as many people as they could up into like space stations. Basically, they've created like one conjoined space station where they've been living and no one's been on earth for a hundred years or something. And, uh, people get convicted when they get convicted of crimes, the punishment for every crime is basically death because they just have no resources or room to keep people (laughs) in lockup. So they, 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 uh, they float them, you know, they send them out of the airlock and there, if you're a minor, you get convicted, but you, you don't get killed. You don't kill until after you turn 18. So, uh, you think that all these, these kids are going to get killed. There's like a hundred of them just turned 18, but they send them down to Earth to see if it's inhabitable anymore. Oh, I like that. Um, because we find out that the space station is running out of air. So they have to figure Can out a they, way to get yeah. off. Yeah. And there's, like a lot space of, balls. there's a lot of like political <laughs> political machinations going on up. Like with the grown-ups on the space station, there's a lot of that like Battlestar Galactica-ish, mm-hmm. like pol- politicking and stuff like that. Um, and down, down on the ground, it's much more of like a Lord of the Flies type of situation but that's cool yeah it was it's pretty cool it's not like the best show i've ever seen but it's definitely fun entertaining it's got some good mystery to it got some good drama to it it's got some actors that i like in it who's in i've Uh, never even heard of the show so who's in this so it's a bunch of like the the main cast are a bunch of very young actors so you probably have never seen before you know they've probably been in other cw shows and stuff like that uh the adult cast like uh um, God, I can't remember his name is the guy who played Desmond on Lost, Ian Cusick, okay. uh, who is fantastic actor, is on it, um, and uh, Isaiah Isaiah Washington, who is, is it Grey's Anatomy, Grey's Anatomy, yes, yes okay. he was on Grey's Anatomy, uh, very good actor as well. Um, I can't remember the, the female lead. She, but the, the thing I remember the most from is that she was the second second April O'Neil in the Ninja Turtles movies. Oh no, <laughs> that's good enough. She's very good in it. She's good though. And um, the guy who played. Uh, Lieutenant Gata on Battlestar Galactica oh, I love as him. well, yeah. Yes. So it's got two interesting things, you know. The, the pilot was the pilot was a little rough. I'm not gonna lie. There was some overuse of pop music in like weird places for a show that takes mm-hmm. place like 200 years in the future. 
Like when they get off of the the ship for the first time, the kids and you know they're wondering if because they don't know if they land on the Earth if they're just gonna die or not because they think it might be so radioactive. Oh, so they find out that it's like it's not, and they like go into this celebration mode, and like that what? Imagine Dragon song, radioactive starts playing oh. when they do it. Oh man, and it's a little bit grown and do Carly Jasmine yeah. going around. <laughs> Uh, but since then, it's been it's really gone gone away from that aspect of it. Um, and it's been good. It's been good. Could you imagine if you were stuck on a space station and the only song that was left in the universe was Rebecca Black's Friday? I could not imagine that. I would hope that they would <laughs> just stop playing music. Yeah, if we're going to judge on such things, yeah, that's or the someone, end of civilization, right? Or someone else would start recording other music at that point. Designate like con- like convicted kids to make <laughs> new bands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, with Battlestar, we're going all along the Watchtower, Hendrix. Yes, I mean, awesome, near, near, right? Near, 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 near. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's what I did yesterday. It was a lot of watching stuff. Wonderful. Um, still under the weather today, but good enough to function. So that's kind of what I labeled myself as today. I went to work, so, um. And we're having a show, which we- we, We're having a show. Even hurricanes didn't stop us from putting something up. So a little bit of fever dreams, you know, (laughs) not going to stop us. I think that this Wednesday, it's it's not the first time we've had a new show on a Wednesday, but it's the first time we haven't put anything up on a Wednesday, I think, ever. Uh Uh-huh. I think. I think you may be right. Because we definitely put up like little sampling stuff or, or you know, reprints of something that we did like on another right. podcast. But there was always something that went up on a Wednesday, and this is the first time that didn't happen. Well, if we can get this up by 11.59 p.m. It's true. <laughs> we kept our streak <laughs> going. No, the, yeah. pa- the Patreon members will get it. It's so. true. They'll get it super early. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it, it was a weird thing to say, like, ah, uh, guys, I can't do the podcast today. That was a weird thing for me to say. <laughs> it threw my whole Tuesday and Wednesday <laughs> off. It's like, what am I doing now? Yeah. Well, this is the second week I'm not on the games podcast because mm. we were moving stuff around. Yeah. Like, yeah. Sorry, guys. Like, no. <laughs> it's, it's and it's so funny because of course it happens like the biggest show of the year. Yeah. Like, it happens on the Avengers: yeah. Age of Ultron uh, show. Nah, we're here now. We are here now. Yes. Mara, how the hell are you doing? Uh, busy. Busy. <laughs> yeah, my mom graduated last weekend from college. Wow. So I got to go see her graduate, and then um, I got a job. This week. Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. I'll be working for a school district as a um, school psychologist. Awesome. So, oh, cool. Um, it's a little bit less intense than what my internship is right now, which is dealing with a lot of neurodevelopmental disabilities. Um, you know, children who have severe autism, tumors in the brain, um, blind, deaf, neurodevelopmental disorders that are, you know, traumatizing and awful. But in a school district, it's a little bit... Uh, easier you're just doing you know your your iq testing and um curriculum based assessments things like that but i'm pretty excited plus i get summers off nice which is fantastic uh, yes. Yes. read comics all summer long convention season <laughs> exactly yeah like i have plans i have plans to come to special edition not what? this year not this year mm. but oh. next year oh so i mean that was that was definitely in the pros column for working for a school district yeah absolutely. special edition new york <laughs> <laughs> can't wait to meet you. I can't wait either. That it's be been awesome. years. I've been I've been with talking comics for I don't remember how many probably like three years. Yeah. It's yeah. been it's been a while and I I've never gotten to meet you guys. It's true. It's absolutely true. Um which is crazy. It's mm-hmm. like you and Joey are the two people have been doing it the longest for us and we've never met either of yes. you. We've met Hugh and yes. Sarah and all these people from <laughs> yeah. overseas. And Joey and lives in Jersey City. Yeah, yeah Joey. Go right through the tunnel and see him, man. <laughs> Come on. Come to a Comic-Con, Joey. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> We're calling you out, Joey. Yeah. 
Can be a guest on the 200th podcast. Yeah, he should. Yeah. He should. Uh, we are still sorting that one out. Yes. It's going to be, I think, in August-ish, though. It seems like mm. Stephanie lined up that the timing for us. Okay. So I think we're looking at August. We're going to name the date. I had a couple of responses from people that were like, yeah, well, awesome. I definitely want to come. So Awesome. We'll definitely line that up. Um, Last year was fun. Or yeah, whatever it was. Last time. Last, last time, time, I should say. Two years ago, whatever it was. Uh, nobody, you know, two years ago. It'd be almost two years with time. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Because you think about 52 episodes in a year, or give or take a few, so. I wonder what we were even talking about. I know that we went back and we talked about the very first books that we reviewed yes. from the DC New 52. Yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely true. Resurrection Man. I mean, what were we gonna- <laughs> Resurrection. Resurrection Man. <laughs> Oh God! And your Animal Man and the song Animal was Man always... scream. I haven't done that. I think since that podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, since it ended, really, yeah. we haven't had any Animal Man to talk about. That's right. Um, but we have lots of books to talk about uh, this week. It's like the exact opposite of what last week was, Absolutely. where we were kind of like grabbing stuff that we hadn't read that week to talk about this week. Yeah, there was so much stuff this week. So much great stuff. Um, a little primer on two things. Um, one, if you never listened to a movie review show of ours before. Uh, we're going to go through all our books first. You know, lately, and if you guys have listening to the last, I don't know how it's been, like, two or three months, we've been kind of interweaving topic into books. But this week, because uh, we have a movie to review, what we're going to do is we're going to do all the book stuff first, take a little break, and then we'll talk about Age of Ultron. And the beginning of our Age of Ultron review will be a uh, non-spoiler uh, review. It will be, we're going to talk about moments, we're going to talk about stuff that happens, um, nothing big or major, but if you want to be completely in the dark about it, if you haven't seen it yet you'd probably don't want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're not, if you're just not, if you're worried about any big spoilers, we won't spoil that in the first half. Uh, then we'll give you a very clear spoiler indication. And then we'll go into, um, what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about deep spoilers on the movie and really get into, you know, um, what we, what we think of some of the, the minutia of, of the film. Um, the same thing is going to kind of happen as well for Batman 40, which came out this week, which, uh, ended the end game run and is the last one we're going to get until after, uh, you know, converting stuff is, is all done. Um, we're going to talk about it very briefly uh, in the first half here, talk and probably enlightening round stuff, and maybe a little extended conversation on that. But for any kind of spoiler talk about what happens at the end, and even what happens in the free comic book day issue that came out, uh, we're gonna that's gonna be after mm-hmm. the uh, like the music plays um, at the end of the show. So you know, in case you're someone who you know, wants to stay for the spoilers of Age of Ultron but doesn't want to hear the Batman spoilers so on and so forth if you don't want to hear the age of ultron spoilers but you don't want but you but you, you want to I'm hear the batman confused. spoilers you can at least go th- you can at least know that if once you hear the music you're scrolling through you'll know that it's should i leave now no no well you've okay. seen age of ultron so <laughs> yes fine. i have okay i know you saw age of ultron because i saw it with you. um and we recorded a little thing for, for the patreon members yeah. already uh, and didn't get rousted out of the parking lot and doing it we did not which was good we did not um so yeah, so that's what way it's gonna go. But we're gonna start this off the way we almost always start everything off, which with, with our lightning round. Uh, we had a moment where we thought that Bob was missing his notes, but that did not come to pass. He has his <laughs> notes. Um, so, uh, but usually I have Bob go first, but we're not having him go first this time because I do the same order as lightning round as do book of the week, and Bob's gonna go last for book of the week because he has a emotional stuff to talk about for his his book of the week this week. Um, so, Steve, we're going to start with you. All right. All right. You yeah. need a moment to get your notes up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a uh, couple of things. <laughs> no, because I can't. I have a couple of books this week, and I can't talk about all of them in detail. And if I don't have notes in front of me, I'm just going to run rampant with it. It's going to be horrible. Run amok. No. <laughs> all right. Are you ready, Steve? I run enough mucks. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. 
Three minutes and go. All right, so uh, Aleshkot's uh, Secret Avengers ended uh, last week with issue number 15. And just like I've been saying for all 15 issues, it was hysterical. Um, if any of you have enjoyed the Superior Foes of Spider-Man run um, by Nick Spencer that just happened, and you haven't read Secret Avengers, but you kind of like that kind of tone and humor uh, this book is totally for you, and it's going to be, I guess, all collected relatively soon. Definitely, definitely check it out. Uh, the other book I've got in front of me is from Oni Press and Cullen Bunn uh, called Hellbreak Number 2. I talked about Hellbreak Number 1 eh, like a month and a half ago, something like that. Um, it's a BPRD-like story about a team that basically goes into um, several different layers of hell to retrieve uh, possessed souls and demons and so on and so forth. So in this issue, you spend a little bit more time with the team and you actually get to hear the story of how the thousand uh, levels of hell had formed. So you get a little bit of lore uh, in this issue in addition to background for the team, which was really cool. Kind of opens up the world, gives you a little bit more of an idea of who you're dealing with and who you're going off onto these adventures with. Uh, another one is Outcast number eight from uh, Robert Kirkman. And I mean, what can I say about this book? I've loved every single issue. Um, the thing with this one is, is Kyle and Reverend Anderson are kind of starting to question their mission and what they're doing and going around town and trying to find the other people who have been touched or possessed um, by this demon that has decided to take up residence within their town. Uh, somebody from Kyle's past, so on and so forth. But what I really, really love specifically about this issue is that the scope of what they're doing has finally dawned on them. And Kyle turns to Father Anderson and he says, how do you know that what we're dealing with is just what you're aware of? You know, like how many other people has this thing infected that we don't know about yet? And then a, probably the creepiest moment in the entire series happened shortly after that. And it gave me chills. And I just can't wait to read another issue. It's so good. Uh, how much time do I got? You have... 45 seconds. All right, really quick. I don't have too much to say about it. I actually read Jamie McKelvey's Suburban Glamour. Um, this was a book that came out, obviously, before Wicked and the Divine, and I believe even before Phonogram. And uh, what it is, essentially, is a girl named Astrid living in a town with, you know, in high school, last couple years, and she winds up getting drugged at a party, and that night that she's drugged trying to sleep it off, she starts having hallucinations. Her imaginary friends have come back to talk to her, and basically, uh, demons and things from her dreams are starting to uh, leak into reality. And one of the coolest aspects of the story is that she's not alone in this. Other people are seeing them as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's often frustrating for me when I'm reading a story when that person is the only person involved in those hallucinations. So it's really cool that they're bringing other people into it. And it's it's decent. It's not great, but um, I enjoyed it because it's McKelvey. And it's gorgeous. Is that the complete run in there? You know, or? it it says one on the side. I never I never had the time to check to see if there was another issue, but um, it could be a self contained thing. I kind of wish there was more of it, but it didn't exactly end with a bang. Like uh, it, I, I more set up than completion kind of deal. Or if I say what it reminded me of, I people are not going to read it. <laughs> like it kind of. <gasps> I'm, it reminds you of. <coughs> well, do you want people to read it? I do. Okay. So I'm not gonna <laughs> off air. We'll talk. We'll talk. Really, really terrible, terrible end to a terrible story that I hated for years, and the end wow. was a little reminiscent of that. Um, <laughs> I can't. I can't. I won't. 
I won't. Okay. <laughs> Reminds you of Happy Days. Sure. Yes. Okay. That's yes. what we're going to say for the for the record. It, the last page for should now. have been Fonz just bumping into the, the jukebox. <laughs> exactly. Hey. All right. I got it covered. So, uh, Mara, are you all ready? I, I am. All right. You got three minutes. Excellent. And go. Okay. So, first up is Bitch Planet number four by Kelly Sudaconic. And I absolutely love this series for so many reasons. Um, but the, the biggest reason is just the way that um, Valentine Delandro draws these women. Um, there's a, a note in the letters page explaining why this book was late. And it was because there was a shower scene. And they wanted to make sure the shower scene was done like tastefully but still conveyed the message that they're trying to to show in this particular scene and it's well done and i'm glad to wait for something that's not terrible or offensive and and things like that but anyway in this issue they explain a little bit more about the megaton event that um oh what's her name camo camo is that right cam okay um, how this this game that she's trying to get all these women together to play in, and it's kind of, you know, it's set up that, you know, this is an all male game, and these women are going to play in it. Why, you know, it, it's it's going to be um, either embarrassing, or they're going to kill them, or they're going to pull them off of Bitch Planet and do something else. You know, it's just like this list of powerful women that she's handpicked that can be very valuable to someone. Book on the whole is done great. The essay in the back is fantastic about um, black women who are also feminists and, you know, issues with race within feminism. Fantastic. Um, Pisces number one from Curtis Weeb and Johnny Christmas. Uh, there's not a whole lot to say about this first issue other than it's very interesting and it kind of sets up this idea that the main character, Dylan, is kind of like a, a tragic loser. <laughs> like the, the first scene in the book is him missing the birth of his kid and showing up like at the hospital and the orderlies are like you got to get out of here she doesn't want to see you (laughs) father of the year yeah you screwed up man (laughs) and then it cuts back into his time in vietnam so there's like some post-traumatic stress stuff going on in, in this issue interweaved with um scenes of him flying in space so i'm not exactly sure what to make of this series so far but i like curtis i like his work Peter Panzerfaust and Rat Queens continue to be two of my favorite series. So I'm going to stick it out with this one. And I'm expecting a big payoff, Curtis, please. <laughs> um, and then Wayward Number 7 by Jim Zub and Steve Cummings. Um, I'm kind of, I've been on the fence about Wayward for a while. Um, but this one, you know, it's this idea that these kids have these powers and there's these spirits that are trying to shut them down. And this girl lost her mom. Um, but what's really cool about this series is that they have essays in the back of the book about Japanese culture. And, you know, I, I, lo- I don't know. I love essays in comic books now. I, w- I want an mm-hmm. essay with all my books. Um, I have a couple of honorable mentions. And I only say honorable mention in that I bought them this week and I didn't get a chance to read them because of Age of Ultron. <laughs> um, so uh, Gotham City Sirens book two. Uh, I love this series. I haven't got a chance to go back and reread it. And that... Collection came out, so I highly recommend it. Anyone who loves Harley Quinn and Catwoman and Poison Ivy, Walking Dead Volume Twenty Three. I didn't get a chance to read that either. Um, Say I Love You, the manga series. <laughs> if you guys like romance comics, please check out Say I Love You. It's all angsty and you know, <laughs> love and, and romance and crap like that. 
All right. It's not crap. <laughs> it's not crap at all. It's uh, wonderful that, crap. There you go. Uh, that scene in Bitch Planet Four, the obligatory shower scene, which mm-hmm. is, uh, even on the page itself says that it's labeled. You, <laughs> right when you read the essay and realize how much Kelly Sue wanted that to be perfect, and that's really tough to do. Mm-hmm. In that it's a staple of this those exploitation Pam Greer movies from that period, and gives you that, and turns it on his head. Cam gets help from somewhere different. I don't want to spoil this for people, but she reaches through the wall. And get some help. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really, amazing. really well done right there. Yes. Yeah. And so you can see that this series is going to take every avenue to change things it can while still giving you those things you go to that for. So it's everything to every audience. That's not easy to do. I am excited about this series. I hope you know it goes on as long as it needs to go on. So. Forever. Forever. <laughs> I didn't want to say forever, but I wanted to... Wanted to imply it. Till the next group of uh, NC people show up over there. Yes. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I'm going to go next. Um, It's very weird for me not to be going last. Uh, We got three minutes on the clock and a go. Uh, Very quickly, I read Avengers Rage of Ultron this week. Mm -hmm. Uh, Beautiful art and some cool kind of like story stuff there. I cannot imagine that this is any sort of peek into what it's going to be like after Secret Wars because there's a pretty major event that happens in it and I yeah. I can't believe that they're going to do that in a book that a lot less people are going to buy than an uh, issue of a comic. Yeah. Like at $25, it's a pretty hefty price tag and I, I just can't believe... I think it's going to go more along the lines of the other graphic novels like this, the you know Avengers Endless Winter mm-hmm. and the Thanos one and stuff like that, that, that they're not going to really have too much to do with um, regular continuity or whatever. Pretty crazy point. though, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it was cool, and I liked all the interpersonal stuff in it, uh, and the family dynamic. I thought was was really really neat. Um, uh, Convergence, uh, Shazam, uh, number one. Uh, this is Jeff Parker and Doc Shaner. A really you know classic, really well drawn, really well written uh, Shazam Captain Marvel tale. Uh, you know, I, I it's funny because having just gotten Thunderworld, um, I feel like. This would have been a much more impactful thing if we hadn't just gotten that book that was sure. already such a wonderful representation of that stuff. But still, if, if you're fiending for Captain Marvel and you don't get it in the normal DC universe, this is a really good uh, tale. Uh, Daredevil, number 15. We are getting very, very close oh. to the end of uh, Mark Wade and Chris Samney's run on the book. And it really feels like with Wade knowing that Secret Wars is coming and things are kind of going to get rebooted, he's really just kind of tearing down everything that Daredevil, you know, has had and what, what's happening. So, uh, you know, things w- were going pretty well for Matt in the last ep- issue of Daredevil. <laughs> Not so much in this issue anymore. Aww. Things Matt Murdock doesn't stay very lucky very long. Um, and, you know, we get some crazy stuff going on, some some big moments, and a, a, a big character returning uh, to, to the fold as well. Mm. Uh, Justice League number 40, uh, Jeff Johns... Uh, Kevin McGuire, um, and I think Jim Lee as well, I think is also doing some art on this book. I um, was oh, sorry, no, no, Kevin McGuire and Phil Jimenez. I don't know what the Lee is at all, but uh, Scott Collins and Jason Fabook, and, and oh, Jim Lee as well. So there's a lot of artists on this book, but for good reason. Um, there is some amazing stuff in Just League 40. It's the start of Dark Side War, and it's, I, I think, going to be something pretty special. It seems like the reins are kind of off John's and what he can do as far as the history of the DCU, and he seems to be incorporating it big time into this, um, even playing into the idea that 
um, the DC Universe has been rebooted too many times and it can't stand another one. So that's kind of the deal of the book. Uh, I think it's going to be really, really cool. I love the issue. love the art in it. And uh, we're going to talk about Batman 40, uh, you know, big time near the end. But general impressions was I just thought it was uh, pretty fantastic. Um, It Mm. might be my second favorite end of an arc issue by Scott Snyder. Um, Really brings home a lot of the ideas of what Batman is um, and, and what he stands for. Uh, and what he means, and the art by Gekapulo is just second to none in, in this issue. Uh, Steve, I know you read it. Uh, what did you think of it? I loved it. I loved it. It was the only. It was the. I was off in Canada, and it was the only book that I bought. Like I bought a bunch of graphic novels and stuff, but as far as single issues that came out that day, it was the only thing I picked up. And I went back to my girlfriend's and read it immediately, and just kind of had my jaw oh, like dropped for the vast majority of the book, particularly towards the the latter half of it. And immediately followed by just a surge of questions. Uh, I have not, I've been kind of spoiled for the future of Batman. Like I've heard whispers of things, but I haven't paid direct attention to what's supposed to happen. Um, So I'm keeping like whatever alive for as long as I can. (laughs) So we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. I don't want to risk spoiling for anything for anyone if they haven't heard it yet. Yeah, but I mean, if you're somebody who reads this in trade, I think Endgame has been uh, one of his best arcs to me. Um, mm-hmm. And that's saying something, absolutely. And there's one line I want to read, and this is just somebody talking about Batman and, and who he is and why he does what he does. He says, um, uh, you know, why he doesn't wear a bunch of armor, why he goes in the way he goes in. He says, he's saying, we're in this together. He says, live bravely in the time you have and smile at the void. So I just like thought that was like a really that's great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. It's a really just gets to the core of who Batman is, yeah. like why he does what he does and who he is. Um, I just loved it, and uh, yeah, great issue. And I, I don't know how Greg Capullo gets better. But the art in that book, there's two, there's two panels in particular. This is not spoilery. Yeah. There's a, there's a point where two characters are laying on the ground, and blood is kind of pooling out from around them. And the 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 blood pool, if you look for it, it is a broken heart, and just gorgeous and then there's another one where batman gets up and like the tear in his cape mixed with like battle damage looks like a like a smiling joker face and Mm. little things like that really uh kind of pull those moments for me there's even a a callback to a very old uh batman tale uh Mm. when he's doing battle against the joker just a lot of fun and um really like more more intense of an ending um, either that I was expecting or that he's had in the past. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've got questions, but I'll wait until yeah, we we'll talk about it later. Talk, but overall, it was really great. And I just want to, I don't want to show Bob, I don't know Bob if you've seen this or not. This is the two-page spread in Justice League 40, <gasps> which recreates Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes. The Spectre and the Anti-Monitor holding yeah. the Earths apart. And yeah. Every superhero imaginable. Now, who did that page? This do is we? Bill Jimenez. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing stuff. I'm really excited uh-huh. to see where I all may this, have to buy that. See one. where all this goes. Um, now, this is going to lead directly into where we're going a month and a half from now. Yeah, I'm not sure when 41 comes out. Obviously, because we have this weird kind of mm-hmm. schedule going on. But um, excited to see where it all turns out because it seems like um, you know that that and it, uh, Rob Newmeyer from the from Tor and, and uh, Talking Games and Backup Stories talked about this with me as well. We were talking about how it does feel like. Johns hasn't now finally he can go back to doing the kind of stories he was doing before where all that stuff isn't off limits anymore and he can play around with that stuff and this is what it feels like to me so kudos to Grant Morrison for bringing back (laughs) multiversity (laughs) 
Um, and uh, Metron is just a really cool character. Yeah. Very, very cool He's character. He's got his chair still. That's good. Yes, you know? he does. He does have his chair. He's chatting with the anti-monitor. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty good stuff. I think it's awesome that Rob is no longer Rob from Tour. That we, he's got like credits yes, underneath yeah. his name now. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Look at all these. I'm, I'm stunned. Bobby keeps tur- turning pages <laughs> and they're getting better and better, yeah. amazingly enough. Pretty great stuff in here. I haven't read that yet, but I did buy it. That looks insane. It's pretty awesome. You should definitely yeah. read it. Yeah, I've got to read it pretty tonight. Awesome. Just sold me one. Yeah, sweet. <laughs> all right, Bob, your lightning <coughs> round. Get Sorry. ready. Okay. You got three minutes, Bob, and go. Well, speaking of DC stuff, Convergence JSA was really quite touching. Its depiction of an aged, depowered team who still remain true to their core as heroes, and a definite like hell yeah ending. I mean, please, you know, we've got <laughs> the Justice Society, uh, Crime Syndicate, Convergence issue. Uh, Brian Bucciolato, Phil Winslade. We visit the original Earth Three Crime Syndicate, whose big mission here is to free Superwoman, who turns out is Lois Lane. From prison, uh, in death row, no less. Of course, Convergence breaks in. We have four pages of people yelling in outer space, and I could do without that. But uh, what the heck? It's still a really, really good time. I'm enjoying most of these Convergence I've picked up so far. In other event news, Avengers 44 and New Avengers 33 deal with the end of the Marvel Universe in very different ways. In Avengers, Tony and Steve, well, they go at it again, and Steve seems very angry in this sort of series. But New Avengers is a really great book-length story featuring Doctor Doom. is quite good, but sadly... Time's run out. Thank you, Steve. It's good to have you back. Uh, X-Men 26 concludes G. Willow Wilson's story arc uh, focusing on heroism, loss, and hope. And it's just simply, simply beautiful. It's truly a shame she won't be continuing as we move forward through this because she's really breathed new life into this series. Her characterizations of the team are just sensational. Silk number four is another fun outing for this series. It's three. It's three. (laughs) It's three. Why not write four? Well, it's three. Silk three. I want number four initially right away. (laughs) Uh, Silk takes on Dragonclaw who's sort of been up the the NAS powers uh, fight with a very different sort of ending and we've got some different paths with the Black Cat as she crosses and some stuff goes on here Mm -hmm. and a really special ending (laughs) which I well I told you you love the last page yes I do love the last page is a fantastic before it shows up spoiler alert sorry (laughs) Bitch Planet we did talk about now Silver Surfer number 11 as someone who grew up in the 60s I'm officially sanctioned to use the term mind-blowing, which is the only way to describe this this sort of Mobius strip presentation of this issue. And I presented Steve with a Mobius strip. It's sitting right in front of him. <laughs> yes, he did. Which is a piece of paper that has only one side. It's pretty trivial. Because it never goes anywhere but back around again. The surfer attempts to lead the survivors of New Haven, and it goes backwards and forwards through time, through space, into this story that you have to read four times. Mm-hmm. Get anything out of it? Look, if people haven't been reading this until we started yakking over the last few months, Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike and Laura Allred is just one of the best things on the stands constantly. And as great as that Galactus trilogy was, what better way to cap it off than this special oversized issue of just awesomeness? Yes. I'm done because I had something else to say, but Stephanie's not here. So we have to wait. <laughs> so I... Uh when I when I first opened this, I talk, I, I I saw you at on Free Comic Book Day, mm-hmm. and I mentioned this issue, and I mentioned the Silk thing to you, and I said when I first opened Silver Surfer, I wasn't sure what to do, right? Because most of the time there's like some sort of obvious guide, mm-hmm. and but at this point I was like, I, should I be reading 
both sides at the same should I be yes. reading the strip above and then flipping it and reading the strip below because it goes back the other way for folks who haven't seen it yet right, right? but you have to get to that point eventually yes. and I didn't know it was going to get to that point so because I you know obviously if you look at the cover it's, it's kind of shown there and stuff like that but I wasn't thinking about that um, and so when I first I read the first page I read both sides and I was like this doesn't make any sense this can't be yeah. the way you're supposed to read it so I was like I'll just read the top strip first and then there's a point right where you can there's there's the first inflection point where you can either loop back around or you can keep reading the way that you're yep. reading um, and I I looped back around and then went back again to the the first inflection point and then you get to a point where basically you you either have to keep following the path the panels are laying out for you or you have to break the path in order to you know keep the get the story moving again um, and it's it's pretty fascinating because what I love about the, the the way it goes is that basically you're replaying the same scenes over and over again but you're never seeing exactly the same scene you're getting more information as you read each one so you could technically just go through and read that one thing and then read to the end and you could get something satisfying out of it but if you read all of them, you get a lot of layers and depth mm-hmm. onto what's happening with this, with the colony, and, and, and what it, what it takes to keep you know six billion people alive and two billion ships or whatever and it is. The intrigue in some of the characters themselves, who we thought <laughs> yes. maybe previously were all altruistic, who may not be because yeah. they're tired of failing. Yes. Yeah. So you, you get to follow the surfer's own pathway through here, mm-hmm. where he needs to break away himself, and you can continue that loop. A lot. Yes, you can. Which is fascinating too. It's, yeah, it's going to change. It's what were those books like twenty years ago? Uh, like, choose your own. Choose your own adventure. Right. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah. sort of like that. Yes, it does have elements of that. Yes, absolutely. But I mean, the artwork to have done this, and and not to discredit Dan Slott, obviously, mm. because he laid this out at a certain level. But as joint storytellers, mm-hmm. that the All Reds and he came up with this idea, and then made it pay off in such a way that's emotional and funny touching because dawn is still part of this but where and we don't know what's going to happen next um i'm thrilled at this book steve i see you <laughs> getting ready to say something i, I wasn't but i i can okay like um yeah i enjoyed it i it's funny it, i think it's awesome how we all read it differently i was constantly turning the the comic over <laughs> and reading you know the top half and then switching it around and reading the bottom half and um, there might have been one or two points where I got lost and didn't know where the hell I was. But um, overall, I mean, the Galactus Trilogy stuff really, really threw me through a loop. And I was wondering how he was going to follow it up. And it says that this is being continued. This isn't the last that we're going to see, although no, it says no. end here. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe during Secret Wars? Is yeah. the last days? Yeah, it says the last days thing. So it's getting okay. it's get something, yeah. But in the July solicits, there's still Silver Surfer coming out. Yeah, so I mean, fingers crossed. Story elements, fantastic. I, I like the the struggle of of these people trying to find a new place to live. But I mean, aside from the emotional beats and all that stuff, the artwork for this book has just been off the rails. There's one page towards the end where the Surfer, like it's it's one double page spread with him kind of leading the charge through this vortex thing, all these pl- all these ships yeah. following him. And I mean, ugh, it's it's just awesome. It's amazing. This this whole this whole series has been a real treat. Do you read Silver Surfer Mara? No. I actually read the first volume of it when we um, when the trade came out, but I haven't read beyond that. You need to catch up. I know. <laughs> You'd love it. 
Samara, what did you do? Sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, I, go ahead. I was say I really did enjoy the first volume. So you have no excuse then? No. Okay. <laughs> Other than time and money. Yeah, okay. Well, that's... Well, that's a good excuse. That's a good excuse. Um, so did you do anything for, 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 for free comic book day? I lost my words. Um, my comic book shop is about two and a half hours from me. So I, I get my comics mailed to me each week. Oh, uh, okay. And uh, uh, my guy mailed me my free comic books a little bit early. Um, so I just sat at home and read them. Or nice. read the ones I wanted to. Which, nice. which, which ones did you read? Um, the Marvel ones and the Gronk from Action Lab. Oh, okay. And uh, the comic book Legal Defense Fund book. Nice. And I have Good. the Kadansha one to read next. The one that hmm. features the Attack on Titan um, little story and gotcha. things like that. Cool. Very cool. Steve, did you do anything for Free Comic Book Day? I, uh, I got the three main books. I got the Secret Wars number zero, the uh, all new, all different Avengers, and Divergence. Mm-hmm. The only one that I have not read is Divergence. Gotcha. So, but I read the other two. Uh, really, really enjoyed Secret Wars number zero. Um, it's centered on a group and one character in particular that I'm a very, very yeah. big fan of. And I it was like Valeria. It's yeah, it's yeah, Valeria. It's Valeria. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm trying. If people haven't caught up with Avengers, New Avengers, I don't. I, I kind of don't want to spoil anything for them. But it's just well, Valeria existing is not a spoiler. Okay. No, she's there. It, yeah. It reaffirms my love. Like when people ask me, like, how is like a three year old your one of your favorite characters in the Marvel universe? And I say because she is always thinking ahead of everyone else. And just like in Hickman's Avengers, where she like she walks into this not not as Avengers, I'm sorry, as Fantastic Four. There's this scene, and I've I've said this before, where like everybody, all these like galactic leaders, and and it looks like a, it looks like a uh, scene out of Star Wars, and they're all sitting around this giant table, and they're all in dire straits and don't know what to do, and they're arguing and and whatever, and being pulled in all these different directions. If Valeria walks in. And she has like she uses like a phone book or something to sit on, and she's just like, "You're all idiots. This is what you got to do. It's really easy, but I'm not going to do it for you. You need to earn it." And in this zero issue, Valeria takes center stage and pretty much tells the comic book reader in so many words that while all these heroes and all these people you love have been, you know, punching each other in the face and screaming about what they're going to do, we've been doing this. And this is actually going to help pull some of our, our bacon out of the fire. And that's what we've been doing. And I just was like, like, that's why I love her. She is just, she's always thinking, always coming up with alternatives. And she always keeps it really, really simple. While all the adults get so, you know, caught up in all, all the stuff involved in it, she's looking at it very simply and very directly. And... I just, I like that that level of intelligence is insane, mm. and Hickman knows how to write that character really really well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Good. I thought it was good. Good. And that's for someone who hasn't <laughs> been reading the Avengers books yeah. for a while. So. Did I, you read all new, all different? I did as well. Oh, it was awesome. so good. I, yeah, it was yes. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. It was really great. The um, wee pups. Yes, yeah. Mara. What did you like about it? Uh, everything <laughs> from the first page. To the last panel. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't give you any more specifics. Than That's that. a pretty glowing <laughs> review, I'd say. Uh, Bob, what did you think of it? 
it's incredibly fun and yet beholden to Avengers history once she's radioactive man for goodness sake we're back to old fashioned bank robbery and but dragons mm-hmm. while we're at it and Kamala is just amazing that the again you open that front page and it's, she's screaming Avengers assemble while Miles is are we allowed to say that yet <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know look it's Mark Wade, which is the other thing you need to know and from there on it is just a delight from first page to end and there's still touching consequences there's real avengery moments mm-hmm. just brilliantly done i can't wait for this to begin for real mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah me, me either i i loved it um you know what i like about it too is it lays some mystery down as well about because we still don't know who's in the iron man suit yes. uh they call the character iron man but they do mention not having stark money um hmm. so you can assume that it's not tony um you can also assume that it's a, a, one of the original avengers because yeah. it talks about the when naming the avengers and being there at that moment um so you know my my theory and it's shared by i talked about with justin and with bob when we saw the we saw yeah. uh age of ultron is that it's either pym or banner are, are my two guesses there's some interesting stuff going on in superior iron man um i'm all caught up on that mm-hmm. and um that has me questioning what's going i i tried to put two and two together while reading um the all new all different and i i still have a couple questions but those are those are good theories i mean there's one of the obvious ones is, is pepper but mm-hmm. they call the character iron man it just doesn't I, I mean they can still call pepper iron man i'm not saying they couldn't but if that feels to me like it's not well she would also be part of stark money i think possibly yeah but there's some stuff going on with stark right now that is causing a rift between them so um that could also be a reason why that it's not there and pepper would have been around when the avengers were formed wasn't in the room yeah so i but i don't know i don't know it's loki who knows how that would be amazing (laughs) (laughs) that would be amazing (laughs) uh but yeah i you know i thought everybody fit together very very well i i like the idea of kind of old guard and new guard, you know, veterans and, and rookies, um, that they're kind of trying these three out. And I think it brings a dynamic to the team that hasn't been there uh, for a long time. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'm i wondering, after reading this especially, and I, I mean, who knows what where Marvel's going as far as direction goes after Secret Wars, we just don't know. Um, obviously, it feels like diametrically opposed to the Hickman tone and the Hickman way of doing things. But that's why I still think there's going to be a second Avengers book that I don't think it's going to be Hickman complicated, but it's going to be a little bit more, I think, um, a little bit more of a serious tone to it. I, f- I feel like there's going to be one that, mm-hmm. that's like that. Um, but this is just, it's so much fun. Um, and I, I hope that there is a place for the, the, the mainline Avengers book like this to have both the large stories and the moment to moment little stuff that, that I think makes this stuff great. Um, but the, the kind of, they kind of he kind of puts forth his mission statement in, in, in this, and I like that a lot. I like mm-hmm. that it makes me happy. And I, I thought the uh, Inhuman story was good as well. Sure, I thought it was fun and, and had a lot of interesting stuff going on. I I don't, I mean, the end is. I don't know how I feel about the very last panel of it. <laughs> yeah, well. Um, but again, it's it's so hard to say. Like after an eight page story about what it's what it's all going to mean. Um, well, I turned out to be very wrong. We'll just leave it, <laughs> yes. we'll just leave it at that. Yes. Um, <laughs> The Inhumans are going to be very big. Anyone yeah. who saw it has been watching Shield yes. of late sees that, that that's where we're heading for this. 
and maybe it's a, it's two years late at this point. But in the books, we mm-hmm. thought Inhuman was Charles Soule first time around. Yeah. Was, no, it was Matt Fraction. It was going to be Matt Fraction. Yeah. And there was Charles Soule. Yeah. And it all sort of drifted. Yeah. And we're coming back around again. Maybe it's just it needed its time and yeah. the end of this event to bring it all together. Maybe, yeah. Absolutely. I've been there the whole time, and it's been <laughs> awesome. Good job. Um, Faith. <laughs> and I also I read Divergence and I thought it was I thought it was pretty great. I liked all cool. three stories in it. Um, gave you a sneak peek into the Superman status quo and well, the art is still the art. Uh, yeah. The, the new writer on the book, uh, whose name I'm I, I have problems pronouncing. Um, uh, Jean Lin Yang. Jean Lin Yang. Sounds right to me. Very very good. I like the writing a lot into the little bit that we got. Um, and the, the Justice League story was good and the Batman story was really good too and I love what the reveal is in the, in the new Batman story I, I love it uh, I think it's a really I never would have guessed it but it makes total sense and I'm excited to see where it goes Hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, it's already on eBay for big bucks. Oh, really? This, this book is already, yeah. It's, <laughs> Seriously? It, because it really? changes the status quo, so people are running around yeah. forever. So I guess it's only the first appearance of a character, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was that, Mara? I thought you were saying something. I just said, really? Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> you know how eBay works. It's just run and sell stuff. Because I, I have divergence. I just yes. haven't read it. You should go for it. Read go it, for and, it then, and then sell it on eBay. So uh, but now Gronk is probably not going to be Everybody will money, know it's yours because it. it's stamped <laughs> yeah. for a free comic book day. <laughs> We've got a double feature of Gronk and Hero Cats. I mean, please. <laughs> We've got Hero Cats and a monster that may eat kitties. Actually, Gronk does not do that. But it's just, it's, it's Katie Cook from My Little Pony, and it's got dragons and monsters who aren't really monsters. They're just misunderstood. That looks adorable. It is absolutely adorable. And it was, my boss Angela picked one up. She wanted to get one for her daughter or whatever. And I know, I know Carolyn did too. And it's like, I'll, you know, I get three. I want I'll to pick up uh, the Gronk book the next time I see uh, Katie Cook at a yeah. convention. She's going to be in special well, edition, I believe. Yeah, well, I can always see her at conventions. You can't get near her table. Oh, I'm sure no. you can. Do you guys read those five dollars sketches comic? that she does? I got one for Sarah a couple of years ago and spent all last year trying to get near the table enough that you didn't oh, have to wait gotta, an hour and a half. You got to go with me, Bob. <laughs> okay, that's it. I'll, I'll just bogart my way in with you. But all right, Mara, what were you saying? Um, do you guys read the Gronk webcomic? No, I didn't know there was one. Uh, I think That's it's how it started. Gronk, yeah. yeah, it's she puts up like a little four-panel web comic a week, or you know, oh, whenever cool. she's not at conventions and things like that, and that's what goes into those books. Huh. So I she's got several. Say. I want to say like maybe a year or two worth of. I wonder Gronk. why I've never seen that. I follow her pretty closely, but apparently not close enough. Not, yes. close, not close enough. <laughs> I mean, I that's how she got the My Little Pony gig. Okay. Was off the webcomic stuff. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. I want to say like maybe Gronk.com or something. I think I'm sure it's if you search. probably in here somewhere. Gronk yeah. and Katie Cook, you'll probably find it. Yeah. yeah. They have official My Little Ponies at Build-A-Bear now. Mm. I know these yes. things. Build-A-Pony. Build-A-Pony. Yes, they do. I'm going to build one. If you're a brony, you can build a pony. I'm gonna st- <laughs> That's the slogan. Here it is. I'm going to stuff it and buy special clothes for it. <laughs> it's www.gronkcomic.com. There you go. I also read the Fight Club two. Did you one? Yeah. <gasps> How was it? It was pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's <laughs> not good enough. So anticlimactic. I I want that. I want a collected hardcover. I can't believe they're uh, releasing it in single issues first. Why? Because I want comics work. I want it now. <laughs> I want it now. Here's my thing about Fight Club. All right. Don't talk about Fight Club. Well, exactly. <laughs> uh, um, 
spend more time on that joke ever happening right, again. Every, yeah, time I see it, every time I see it in any movie or TV show, right. I'm like, okay, guys, let's move on from the Fight Sorry. Club joke. Um, but the thing about uh, the thing about Fight Club to me, the, the movie, was that when I was 15, I fucking loved that movie, and, and mm-hmm. I watched it so many times. And through up into, through college a little bit, I watched it, and I really haven't watched it since that time. Because I'm very afraid that if I do rewatch it, I'm gonna be like, "Screw these people!" No, <laughs> all man. they do is why. Because I I think about the philosophy of that movie, yeah, and I get like annoyed a little bit in my in my heart about it. So really, yeah. So I just wow. like don't I don't want to watch it again because I don't want to ruin. Oh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. The, there's a lot of good stuff in Fight Club. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm just saying I have a very I have a very idyllic picture of it in my brain. <sighs> And I don't want to ruin that. And I feel like if I watch it again, nothing I'm, can live I'm up. Ruin yeah, it. the things you own end up owning you. It's true. <gasps> you are not philosophy. your bank account. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you are not your furniture. <laughs> I love that movie, and and I'll I've watched it enough times for the both of us. That movie holds up. Mm. Just like directorially, it's oh, gorgeous. Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that all the like the the skill put into the movie, I I don't doubt are all excellent. Mm-hmm. But just like the idea of the movie. I just don't know if it's for me anymore. I'm excited that it's it's Palinuk writing it. Yeah. That like it's coming from the source. It's not somebody that's trying to just make a Fight Club sequel and not to say cash in on it, but like, you know, almost like, uh, I love Fight Club and I have, <laughs> oh, you have it. Yeah. Oh, I got to read it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, I like I said, I only got three books for free comic mm-hmm. books. I didn't even know that that was part of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Cameron Stewart does the art for it. Yeah, I was wow. in Canada and I went to Heroes. The line was out the store and around the block. Yeah, and I just I took one look and went, nope. Yeah, that was it. Fourth world was the same way. I'm sure. Oh, well, I, I was there at nine in the morning. They open at ten, and I figured, okay, I'm going to be right at the front of the line. I was meeting Carolyn Coker for, for there, and in front of me was a kid dressed as Captain America. We were about a hundredth in line, and he was saying he was there last year at quarter past nine and was third. Mm-hmm. And okay. We, to their credit, they let people into the store who were only there to shop because Scott Snyder and James Tynan, Tinian. We still don't know. We, we still don't, don't know. know. <laughs> they were a little late. Uh, Marguerite Bennett was there, and I, I, I cheated and went and talked to her. <laughs> but So they let people in. When we came out of the store 30 minutes later, there were 300 people online. And my understanding is that line lasted the mm-hmm. entire day as they kept running people in. Now, every store I went to... Uh, and this is great for all our, our local retailers out here. I went to Tor in the middle of the afternoon, and he was busy still. Yeah. It was the yeah. store was packed. I went to Androids over in Sayville, and he was still packed. He had Spider Man outside. Yeah. yeah, it's just wow. The phenomenon is beginning to percolate, and it was parents with kids, and husband and wives, and young ladies, and young mm-hmm. boys, and it was really thrilling to not see. No offense to us. Not to see us. Right. <laughs> where, where it has been the last 10 years where it was just us, people like us, fanboys, we're not, but you know what I mean, glomming up books to sell on eBay. It was now committed comic book fans talking and chatting and buying yep. all kinds of stuff. Just amazing. I, it, really special. I'm, I'm warmed. My old <laughs> curmudgeonly heart was warm um, on this free comic book day. Yeah, Rob said that it was it was their busiest year that he yeah. can remember. Um, even at Heroes uh, in London, they were handing out uh, toys just to people who were waiting online, like just to like mm-hmm. just for hanging out. And they had um, all of their 
uh, like some of their free comic books out in the front. And was, everything was cordoned off. Mm-hmm. They're a huge, huge, huge store within this downtown area. Um, so they had like fire breathers and like all this crazy stuff going on. And um, but they were doing it smart in that they were only limiting it to like 12 to 15 people in the store at a time. That's kind of why the line was so long, because, you know, you only have so many people working security. You have 30, 40 some odd people in your store all at once. People are going to pocket stuff. Mm -hmm. So um, they were really smart about it. And it looked like people walked away with a lot of stuff. Like as we were walking downtown for looking for something to eat, you couldn't walk past five people and three of them not have a free comic book day Mm back in their hands. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I went to Android's Amazing mm-hmm. Comics, and it was great. It was a really nice little store. Um, I like their trade collection. Like, they focus very heavily on independent stuff. Mm-hmm. They have some Marvel DC stuff, but very focused on independent stuff, and lots of copies of all the independent stuff, Like, like especially the new stuff. Like, I think they had like 15 copies of Outcast Volume 1 in, in there or something. Yeah, cool. you know? Nice little kids section, too. Yeah, great. And uh, they were doing 20% discount on, on everything, so that was really nice. Um, really funny, uh, when I went to Fourth World... I was I didn't even, I didn't stay I, I I saw the line there it was like it's like forty five minute long line I was like I'm alone I was like I do not want to wait in line for forty five <laughs> minutes by myself uh, but I, I was walking up to ask like is this line just to get in the store and in the front of the line was my wedding photographer Craig Kempf oh yeah <laughs> you know, with, with his fiance and I was like hey Craig and he was like hey how you doing and I was like okay hey. um and so then I, I left and I went to I, I I got some food and then I went to Android's Amazing Comics and I'm in there looking. And I hear behind me, I go, here, hello. And I turn around, and that was Craig again. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he was asking me all these questions. He was like, I, don't really, I haven't really collected in a really long time, but like, I went to Fourth World or, or whatever, or came into here a couple weeks ago, and they, they suggested this to me, and like, do you have any suggestions for me? And like, I suggested like three or four things, and he bought a bunch of the stuff and everything. So nice. it was cool. It was nice. It was a fun time. Very cool. It was a fun free comic book day. And yeah. then I walked in the tour, and I was like, I can't stay here, because it was just a, so many people. And yeah. If, if there's... Eight people in tour, it's like crowded. Yeah, so, so when there were twenty, yeah, I was like, nope. I talked to Bob for a couple minutes. I talked to Rob for a couple minutes, and then I was like, it was there. crazy today. We had uh, we were putting all the books out, and like Rob's got like it used to be three piles, now it's like ten. Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, I need to look at Avengers and Daredevil. That's right where we do all the stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. and he just he's you know Rob like yeah. he's so sweet about it. Yeah. He's so nice about it, but I could see it in his in his face. And he looked up at me, and I just I saw this twitch. And I was like, "Oh man, he's gonna lose it." But he was cool about it. I've never seen Rob lose it. You have no, to call you, me you when that happens. You won't see him lose Good. it. Good. No, I've seen him. I've seen him angry twice, and it was adorable. <laughs> adorable. Yeah, I'm sure that's not the reaction he's hoping. I have for, such a you know. such a warm and soft place in my heart for Rob. I like him a lot. He's a good dude. Absolutely. All right, Steve. What's yeah. your book of the week, sir? Okay, so. Um, in my travels, I found a book uh, from Jillian Tamaki, and Jillian Tamaki, if you remember, um, is half of the creative team. She creates uh, books with her sister. Uh, we talked about this one summer, yes, uh, a little while back. So she was uh, part of that, and she also has a book uh, with her sister as well. I can't remember her sister's name. I'm so sorry. Uh, called Silk. And so she comes out with a new book, and it just says Jillian Tamaki. So this is a kind of her breaking out on her own. And she put together this uh, collected story called Super Mutant Magic Academy. Now, understand, Super Mutant Magic Academy is absolutely hilarious, but it is absolutely hilarious if you have a very dark sense of humor, which I have. Um it's done in the format of it's mostly black and white. There are some colored panels uh, throughout the book, 
but there's even like different it's all the same artist all the same writer but there's different approaches to how it's drawn like it looks like she tried different pens and different pencils so you really kind of don't know what you're going to get from page to page but um the setup is it's the last two years of these kids going to this special high school and if you want to imagine it as something like the kids from the Jean Grey school um, mixed with the kids from Harry Potter. Okay. And they teach both kids with like mutant-like abilities and they teach uh, sorcery and, and stuff like that. And um, one of the most – like the, the coolest parts about it is like all of these students, save for maybe like two or three of them, are just really apathetic <laughs> and really dry. And the, the book um, – Bobby's wife, Karen, actually said it earlier, and it now makes perfect sense to me, has got kind of a far side, like, wry humor to it all throughout. And, um, I mean, just an example of some of the funny stuff that goes on in this book is this kid is standing up in front of his class and his teacher, and uh, they say, whenever you're ready, Jeremy, and they say, bear. So he waves his wand, and he turns into a bear, and she's like, good, penguin, turns himself into a penguin she goes butterfly and by accident he waves his wand and turns himself into a soccer ball <laughs> and the teacher's like jeremy jeremy oh dear and then like the next and final panel is just them tossing the soccer ball into a bin with other soccer balls and like you know <laughs> rackets and birdies and like you are now transmogrified into gym equipment and that's just who you are and what you are for the rest of your days don't mail the parents um, so you got all these kids with all these different abilities. There's this one character called the everlasting boy that all it ever is, is like these six panel drawings of him basically la- like going all throughout time. So you'll see him like sitting on a brick wall. It's a nice sunny day. His girlfriend comes over next panel is like all the seasons change. Um, the next one, like a huge comet comes down onto the planet and his girlfriend's all old and withered. And then there's a, like a volcano exploding yeah. in the background. He's like, like got fire all around him. He's just sitting like, it's no thing. It's fine. But, but his shirt sleeves are kind of raggedy. Yeah. yeah. That's his only, the only cost to him is he lost some cotton. Yes. So, I mean, to, to, to wrap up a little bit, one of the coolest things about this, it's called Super Mutant Magic Academy. And I'm not trying to be corny or anything like that. But the way that it's delivered, it's delivered mostly in, you know, six to eight panel, one page things. And it feels like you're reading like a daily comic strip. You're not reading anything that has any kind of continuity in it. It's just comics about kids in school. But as you go along, uh, towards the end of the book, they start numbering the comics and kind of connecting it. And for the last like 30, 20, 30 so pages, you get kind of a like a prom night um, through line of all of the kids being at this one party and several things happening throughout. And as you're reading that section of the book, you realize that you haven't been reading separate things. You have been reading something that has a connectivity and a continuity to it. And all those times that you thought you were just looking in at different situations throughout different years, you're looking in on these last two years and all of these little like apathetic quips and all of this stuff, these characters have been growing throughout the book and again, corny, but kind of like magic, you realize that you're reading a different kind of book. And it, for me, it totally snuck up on me. Now that I've told you that, it probably won't for you, apologies, but that was like when it really hit me where I was like, wow, I'm like, this is really cool. 
and this weird comic about you know everlasting boy shaving off of all of his skin and then a wolf <laughs> comes and eats him and craps him out and the crab like forms back into a person and then by the end of the comic he's just there again he's everlasting right? that's the yeah, thing he's right. amazing it's so funny but like by the end like i'm reading all these like horrible jokes and these terrible kids and they're just they're they whine and they bitch about life and all these things and within the last 20 to 30 pages, they put something together really nice and turned all that apathy into just questions about the future. And the very last page, I like left the book with a huge smile on my face and I felt good for like the rest of the day. So really, really cool transformative story, uh, gr- characters that grew throughout all the comic strips and just really dark, um, like, a, like a black comedy comic book. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Mariko. Is the sister's name. There you go. Mariko Tamaki? Yes. Okay. So yeah, Super Mutant Magic Academy by Jillian Tamaki. Uh, and it's put out by a D and Q. They also put out uh, Kate Beaton's Hark of Vagrant. Drawn in Quarterly. Drawn in Quarterly. Drawn in quarterly. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I'm glad you were here. <laughs> <laughs> so same sort of thing as, as uh, Hark of Vagrant or perhaps Superhero Girl where you can yeah little chunks. And- yes. Get a much, good laugh and a good smile and move on. Yeah, much more, later. much more in the tone of of Hark a Vagrant. Just that okay. really stripped down. I mean, some some of these, not all of them were funny. I'm not going to say the entire book was hilarious. There were a few strips. I was like, all right, and moved on. But for the ones that that hit really hard, hit really really hard. Um, it's just I don't know if you if you have a an off kilter sense of humor, you might really really enjoy this. I've shown this to a couple of people and everybody's laughed at it. Um, there's this property that they have kind of that giant tree from Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. That was like, it was at the weeping, whomping willow. Whomping willow yeah. They have a tree called the annoying tree. So when you try to um, like read on the lawn of the school, it will actually like uproot itself and creep over and just lean over both pages to like <laughs> flip the pages of your book, tug at your shirt, poke you in the <laughs> eye and just basically annoy the hell out of you. And that's all it is. It's just an annoying tree. Cool. I thought it was awesome. funny. It sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. That's my book of the week. Sounds funny. All right, Mara, what do you got for us? Uh, Princess Leia number three. Surprise. I'm so, so surprised. <laughs> Star Wars book. I know. I thought you didn't like Star Wars. Um, Well, I changed my mind. Okay, gotcha. So, basically, the whole premise of the Princess Leia miniseries is that she's decided that she doesn't want to stay around the base and just wait for the Empire to come to her. She's going to go and collect all these um, survivors of Alderaan, people who were off planet at the time. Um, Some of them are unaware of Alderaan's destruction. So, it's, it's kind of a little bit bittersweet but in this issue she actually comes across an enclave of survivors who are very aware of um their home world being destroyed and they're not really the most receptive to princess leia um in fact they kind of meet her with outright hostility and um try to shoot her but she is princess leia so she's gonna kill you first except she doesn't (laughs) because they're her subjects so um, but what's really interesting about this is how she handles the hostility. Um, she basically marches in and says, yeah, okay, you can be mad, but I'm your leader. I'm Princess Leia. You have to do what I say. And it's that kind of um, take charge attitude and um, just demanding of, of respect while also being understanding of the situation that makes 
Mark Wade's portrayal of Princess Leia, one of my favorites. Um, this particular issue also has R2-D2 flying a little speeder by himself, and it is weird and adorable. Um, I don't want to say too much else about this issue, um, mainly because I want people to actually go and read it. Um, okay, I think that's where I'm going to end on that one. Okay. <laughs> I wrote something on Talking Comics. You guys can go read that. Now, I had read issue one and really enjoyed it, but then somehow didn't pick up issue two. So should I be trade waiting or should I go for two and three? What do you think, Mara? That's a tough question because this is supposed to be a miniseries, which means you could potentially just collect it all at the end. Okay, that was my plan. So I'm I'm feeling better about that plan now. So that's kind of um, probably where most of it's at. Um, but I loved her interaction with the young lady who's going to be her pilot or handler, whatever you yes. want to say. Yes. It was so great. She's she's so snarky all the time. Yes. And <laughs> still, still here by it. issue three, right? Yeah. She's still Good. like, well, they don't like you either. <laughs> what do you expect? Awesome. But, you know, she's still very loyal and um, all around her home. So she's going to protect her princess. Is she still sort of bowing to her, or has that begun to turn into it's, something a little it's different? It's less of that and more um, kind of a, a partner. Except, that, you know, uh-huh. she still refers to her as ma'am and your highness or whatever, but it's it's more, I don't know, starting to get a little bit more friendly, which is good. Good. Yeah. So you are obviously very up on the expanding universe of Star Wars, Mara, as we've seen by the Misfits latest episode, which is about that. Um, How do you feel about this compared to other portrayals of Princess Leia in the general expanded universe? I think it's actually very true to her character in general, which is great. Um, What what I'm looking for in, in Princess Leia is someone who still reminds you of that first meeting in A New Hope where she's like looking at Darth Vader and was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Go ahead and torture me. I don't care. And then, you know, Luke Skywalker meets her and she's all snarky and, you know, tells him what to do and saves herself. Um, so when I'm reading a story of Princess Leia and I, I look for those kind of traits and we definitely see that in this Mark, Mark Wade run where, you know, the rebels are like, you have to stay here. There's a bounty in your hand. And she goes, F you guys, I'm gonna do what I want. <laughs> Save all the Alderanians and we're gonna we're gonna set up an enclave somewhere and, and rule the world. Um so and I, I think this particular portrayal of her is accurate while also trying to address that whole um it's sort of your fault that Alderon doesn't exist anymore. And we keep seeing over and over again it's almost like you know how people were when people are grieving, they kind of go into super busy mode where they do everything to to keep their mind off of it. You definitely get that vibe from her in this series where it's so, it's so emotional and guilt driven that she has to keep moving. She has to keep doing something so she doesn't stop to think about what exactly happened. So I'm anticipating um, either in the next issue or the, well, of course, there's only like five issues. So one of the next two issues is going to be some sort of heart-to-heart with Evan. And we already saw a little bit of it in this particular issue where she's talking about the idea of hope and how 
you know, she doesn't believe her hope has any meaning anymore because of all the stuff that's happened. So, yeah. Right. It's good. Cool. Two thumbs up. My plan for all the Star Wars stuff is trades. That's my plan for all of it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to do so. both. <laughs> I can't I, again, I'm, sh- I'm shocked. <laughs> Absolutely shocked. Uh, but yeah, no, that sounds great though. Uh, I enjoyed the first issue. So I, uh, the first issue was enough for me to go, okay, I'm going to get this in trade hey, when, when it comes out. New Kanan's out. Kanan Les Padawan's out there. I know. I, I, you know, I missed the boat too because they were streaming uh, Rebels for free on StarWars.com. Yeah, all last weekend. All last weekend until May the 4th. Um, and I, I just, I missed the boat on it. But I will watch that at some point. Absolutely. I want to read the Darth Vader series. That's so good. I heard it's actually funny. I read the first two issues i believe um my problem with that is just I, for, for me it's uh, it was very well written and it mm-hmm. looks great but to me knowing more about darth vader doesn't make him more interesting to me it makes him less interesting to me oh mm. but he's so funny in this book he's Th- that's, 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 oh, no! see, that's why i want to read it i want to see that <laughs> but darth that, vader that does not jokes. this does not make me want to read it this is not what i'm looking for in a darth vader book i'd love to see him like start to force choke somebody and be like ah <laughs> ah, I was let him go. Ah, like that one, huh? Yeah. A whole series of panels where um, he he meets this this kind of a droid archaeologist mechanic girl, and she's like, I can't imagine what you had to go through to find me. And you see him; he kind of like looks up like he's thinking. And the next page is just him force choking a bunch of people, throwing them off cliffs. <laughs> and it comes back to him, like looking at her, goes, "Yeah, it was uneventful." It, it was just like that kind of humor that's you know real dark and. You know, it's just kind of, I don't know, it kind of reminds me a bit of Anakin from Clone Wars, the the gotcha. TV show. Yeah, yeah. Where he was, he was a little bit of a, a little bitch, but still. <laughs> it's kind of Anakin's him. thing throughout all media. <laughs> <laughs> Anakin. Uh, um. Anakin. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, let's cleanse. Now, this the is pod racing. All right, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that little dusty-haired <laughs> bastard <laughs> ruined everything. All right. So that is Princess Leia number three? Yes. All right. Okay. Um, so um, I'm going to talk about uh, the Multiversity, number two, which is the final issue of Grant Morrison's uh, epic miniseries that, that he did. And this um, caps it off much the way the Multiversity, number one, started it all off, and you know, I didn't really know what to expect coming into it because what we've seen is basically eight or nine issues that are exist mostly separately from each other. They 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 have had intersections, but in my mind, like you know, usually when you go to a big finale of something, you have an idea about how you want it to end, what you're expecting, how it's all going to come together. And going to this, I really had no expectation of how it was going to come together because nothing had been interweaving up until mm-hmm. this point. So I knew it was going to do something to to and the current story of what was going on in all these worlds in some way, but I wasn't expecting it to address each and every single one of these worlds. And, and it doesn't do that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't take the time to go, this is what happened in The Just, this is what happened in, you know, Masterman. It, it, it doesn't do that. It does revisit some worlds, mostly stuff from the guidebook. And the guidebook plays a big part in, in, in this issue itself. Um, but it, it mostly just deals with, really, what happened in the first multiversity, and, and really, I think you could probably read Multiversity number one and then read this number two mm-hmm. and you wouldn't get as much out of it. But I think you could understand mm-hmm. kind of the basic gist of the story. A lot of the color would be left out of it, a lot of the shades. But you could probably read the two of them and be like, okay, 
this is how it began and this is how this is how it wrapped up um and so first of all i had to read it twice i read it the first time <laughs> and i read it because the thing is like it's much like we'll get to when we talk about age of ultron the first time i'm reading something i'm, I'm excited for i'm barreling through it because i just want to know what happens so i so i'm really I, i'm probably missing things i shouldn't be missing i just want to see what the next thing is and i'm always anticipating what the next thing is so i read it and i was like okay i liked that I'm going to have to read it again. I did the same thing with Batman. I have to read it again so I can just experience it and then I can have a better thoughts about it. Um, you know, I, I love that it continues both the meta narrative of multiversity and the micro narrative, right? So we get, we get great little stories about characters, about people, about things that are happening. You have an arc for someone who, you know, has been both hero and villain in, in the mm-hmm. story. You've got arcs for other characters as well. You've got, uh, an ending that is the lead up seemingly to something else, hopefully. Um, and that's all very based in the story, right? It's all, you, you could, you could eliminate the meta narrative and, and it would, it, you could get a good superhero story out of it, but you also continue the meta narrative, which is this kind of, it, it, it's, I wouldn't even call it a satire. It's more of like a celebration of, of DC comics mm-hmm. and comic books in general. And it, you know, it sends up the really ridiculous stuff, but it's sending it up in a loving way, not really in a biting way. And even to the point where, you know, in the first issue, we got kind of the the DC's planet Marvel, and they were kind of um, over the top and kind of jokey, and here they definitely get a redemption of, of what they're trying to do. Um, you know, and uh, it, 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 it takes the things that are central to DC lore, which is, you know, I, I love the bit, there's a very strong bit with the, all the flashes kind of like in the universe and how they've always been central to these big events. They've always been at the, the speedsters always at the middle of the events and they're here in, in, in that same way. Um, you know, it continues to do really great stuff with, with Captain Carrot, which I just, I, I absolutely love. Very Looney Tunes. Very here, Looney yeah. Tunes. But I, I love that what, the message that Captain Carrot is, is portraying and kind of the whole message of the series is portraying. And, and that is, the, the real way for superhero comics to stand out and to triumph isn't to try to be like other things. It's to try to, it's to embrace what they are and who they are. And there's a line that Captain Carrot says that what power triumphs over absolute absurdity. <laughs> um, and I, I love that they're using that absurdity to kind of face off against these villains in, in, the, in this universe, which are very much about order and, you know, making things all the same mm-hmm. and, and gentrification is a word they even use in it. Um, and this is about expanding that and blowing that up. And, and it's, not about, it's not about everything being the same. It's about taking things from everywhere. And, and that's what makes things great. Right? Brett Morrison's mission statement for his entire career yes. in some level. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. And uh, you know, I don't want to discount Ivan Rice and Joe Prado uh, when the, on the art duties because oh. the book is gorgeous. Um, every issue has been gorgeous, and, and this just has some of those panels and pages that have just been, you know, wonderful. There's, there's characters that I, you get to see that I just love. I love that the demon is is focused mm-hmm. on here, or the very rhyming uh, Jack Kirby right demon. Yep. Um, again, I mentioned Captain Carrot, who was great. Uh, this Nix Utan monitor character, who I I, I I don't know if it's an invention of Grant Morrison's. I know that the race obviously is something that was invented before. I don't know if the specific character is Grant Morrison's or not, but uh, the journey the character goes, I think, is super interesting. And I loved seeing how all of it wrapped up. Um, and I loved the idea of you know this underlying goodness 
of, of these these characters being the thing that makes them triumph over everything else. Uh, it's big and crazy and weird, and it gets very weird at times. You have competing voiceovers going on at the same time, mm-hmm. which can at times be very daunting to, to deal with and suss out. Um, but I loved how all of it came to a head here, and it was a finale unlike any other because I didn't because it's been a series unlike anything I've ever read. So I didn't know how it was going to wrap up, and I just I absolutely I absolutely yeah. loved it. Uh, Bob, what did you uh, think? I really enjoyed it. Again, I went into this with much different expectations. Mm-hmm. I expected that visit to each of these worlds, and yeah, we'd have a little fun thing here and there, and it was this bizarrely connected through a spinal column of events sort of thing that wasn't exactly a miniseries, mm-hmm. and yet was. You, you, again, I, I think you're right. You could read one and two and the guidebook mm-hmm. and sort out what happened. Yeah. But you wouldn't have all the fun you did no. if you realized as these characters picked up these haunted books and these weird things, wait, that's the book I read last week. Yeah. Uh, he makes these interesting wry commentaries throughout the book as they cascade through all these various worlds. A conclusion that comes but continues to arrive. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it, it's it's the event mentality that we're all dealing with. Uh, we we discovered there's been a second multiverse, mm-hmm. which is really interesting, and we'll see how that goes because we have an ending. I will say that the ending, I don't want to say let me down, but was a little... <laughs> It's, it's screwy, don't get me wrong. But it's for Grant Morrison, it's kind of an ordinary superheroic ending mm-hmm. where there's something happens, oh, that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. This will move forward into this and this will happen to defend that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying not yeah. to spoil anything because people are going to read this all at once. <laughs> yeah, And it's sort of, uh, years ago when the Marx Brothers were making their first few movies, how do you end total chaos? Mm-hmm. What logical cap do you put on something that's been nutty for an hour and a half without it seeming mm. forced or weird or put into place? Well, they, they'd end movies sort of the way the Holy Grail ends with the police go and break up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They end a movie where three of them marry the same woman and they all jump on her and the movie ends. Mm-hmm. No explanation, just ends. Yeah. I was kind of thinking this would end that way with just <laughs> weirdness. And there is that after the other ending. Because there are about three endings to this. Yes, there are. In, in a yeah, way. Yeah. Art is gorgeous. Story is bizarre and involving. I read it three times, and I think I need to read it three more. <laughs> I uh, loved uh, Aquaman as well. I thought that oh, was Oh, awesome. my favorite. The Queen of the Sea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the strongest species on my planet is yeah. me. I yeah. love that line. Yeah. It's like a fantastic line. Um, yeah, and the, <laughs> this is not a spoiler, but... The, the countdown to when the end of the universe is going to yes, happen... Let's not spoil this. It's hysterical. <laughs> ...is so weird and so bizarre and so perfectly Grant Morrison. It, it's, it's wonderful. Fifteen moves. <laughs> yeah, we'll um, just leave it at that. And what I... And the, like, I'm not going to spoil the exact ending, but I love the idea of the ending, which is that, like you said, like a conclusion that comes but continues to arrive, yeah. is that that last moment, that last panel, um, it's kind of saying, like, it's going to happen all again. Be- yeah. For the exact reason why what happens at the very end of the book, <laughs> what that person is doing is ensuring that stuff, this that event stuff is going to keep happening, and I love that idea behind it. Which yeah. it's like it, the whole series is kind of about that, right? It's like putting it on you, like don't buy this, don't do that, yeah. and it, it kind of wraps up that way too, which I which I loved. Um, I want to read it all again. You know, I didn't read it all again before I read this, but I want to sit down. I can't. I, this is definitely one of those series where when they put out like the deluxe hardcover yeah, the, edition the, the director's cut yeah, yeah i'm gonna buy it because i want it all together and i want a big beautiful edition of it but um really fantastic i, I just loved it and you know <clears throat> what i loved about it too was that throughout the whole series 
There are issues that are super Grant Morrison. You know, we talked about Ultra Comics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there are issues that are super like that that are like you have to read them eight times and you're, you're still not going to understand everything that happens. Even Pax if you Americana. Do. Pax Americana. But then there's stuff like the League of Superheroes, you know, and, and there's... Yeah. E- even very pulpy. Very, very pulpy. old-fashioned. Yeah, Thunderworld as well, which are not books that are... They're not daunting to read. They're no. not. Oh, they're not too much. They're they're the other side of comics that he obviously loves, and I like. I love that the entire series was a mishmash of, of those two things. Uh, and yeah, I, you know, uh, it's a ton of fun, and I love playing all the other characters, and it's why I I'm excited about this Justice League thing because I feel like it, I don't know if it's going to directly play with so many characters, but it seems like it's going to sort of go there. And having all these characters back and or just more people to mess around with, I think, would be great. Uh, Jeff Johns did just a great job years ago with Justice Society yeah. that his ability to juggle humongous casts from different places mm-hmm. and different aspects of superherodom, if there's mm-hmm. such a word, <laughs> I think he'll nail that. And yeah. when you see on the first page of the uh, number 40 you were yeah. showing, well, we're getting into bits and pieces of this right away. Yeah, I'm, I'm stoked for that. Yeah. And I wasn't until you showed me. There you go. Uh, Multiversity number two. Drive yourself insane. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And, you know, it's DC, so we'll read the trade in three years when it comes out. Um. (laughs) Uh, They're getting better. They're getting better. uh, Through July, things are looking better. Yeah. Trade paperbacks and not hardcovers first. So that saves you $10 right away. We'll see what happens. (laughs) You're probably right. All right, Bob, it's your turn. Okay. Here we go. So I wanted to go last because it's about last this time around. It's Fantastic Four number 645, James Robinson and Leonard Kirk. It is the last issue of this incarnation. And we also have four backup stories, four little sort of solo things. Rekindle, Carl Kessel, uh, Joe Bennett, The Real Real, Louise Simonson, David Marquez, Trashman, Tom DeFalco, Tom Grummet, and... Time and Tide, Jeff Parker, and Pascal Campion. Now, in, in this, again, this is the, the final issue, how final is anything in comics, but this does have that sort of feeling, that it's a send-off. And James Robinson and Leonard Kirk really deliver a heartfelt ending to their run, and one that demonstrates through words and pictures all the greatest attributes that this series has had from the very beginning, from 50, 50 odd years back. Now, I know some of you, as Steve did recently, are just sort of catching up, so I do not want... To spoil too much here, but suffice it to say, just as Mr. Robinson said to me at, back in last October at the Comic-Con, everyone has their moment to shine, and that is heroes and villains alike. We have... You're not left with anything unsaid, unspoken among these characters. And again, it's the kids and the supporting cast. The story ties together virtually anything that this family has been through through his run. I was a bit hesitant. We got about three issues in. It seemed rather dark and bleak. And that changed. We had a turnover period where the rise began. And you get to this the end here, and it's exhilaration you feel. There's a sadness to it, but you're really empowered by that in this day and age of mega events and ultra special classy whatever that a single issue of a comic book can bring you something really special to your heart and that's on mr robinson mr kirk carl kessel scott hannah uh, 
The colorist is Jesus Arbatov and Israel Silva, and they just deliver an emotional punch. And there's action. This is not some sort of love letter. People don't sit around yakking with each other around the table. There's tons of action, mm-hmm. and it's fantastic forest-style epic teamwork and all the things you'd want to see in a book like this. So this is, it's bittersweet, yes, but it's certainly one of my favorite comic books of the last few years. And it's a fitting send-off to the world's greatest comic magazine. Now. There's more. There's more. (laughs) Because now to matters, I, I wrote this down, I'm sorry, because I may not be able to get through this otherwise. To matters both larger and more personal. Now, I know that more than likely... We haven't seen the last of this series, that there will be a relaunch somewhere down the road. But considering the dynamics of publishing, the demands of modern audiences for something different and edgy, and certainly the twin forces of the new Marvel Universe after Secret Wars and the ultimization of the team in the upcoming film, this issue may well mark the end of the Richards extended family as we've come to know and love them over the last 54 years. So if this is farewell, I'd like to take this moment to offer my gratitude this epic adventure to James Robinson, Leonard Kirk for a heartfelt finale, to Matt Fraction, Mark Bagley, Michael Laura mm-hmm. Allwood for keeping that flame alive, Jonathan Hickman for rekindling that flame, and then the decades previous, Mark Wade, Mike Moringo, Chris Claremont, Alan Davis, Carlos Pacheco, Roberto Aguirre, Sakaza, uh, J. Michael Zrzynski, Dwayne McDuffie, Tom Falco, Paul Ryan, Walt Simonson, George Perez, Rich Buckler, Ramona Fraden, Ross Andrew, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, Steve Englehart, Jerry Conway. I mean, who didn't work on this book? John Buscema, Roy Thomas, and certainly to John Byrne for boldly restrating why the core values of this original premise were so important and then using them to tell amazing new stories in amazing new places that celebrated their history and created new touchstones for all of us. And most importantly, my greatest thanks to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby for creating a concept and then brilliantly delivering a series that was so far removed from anything in its time and whose strengths were so profound that it seemed singular a half century later, but more for providing a lifetime of joyful reading and giving me a family to cherish when I didn't have one of my own. Excelsior. Allergies. <laughs> That's beautiful, Bob. That's very, very beautiful. I don't even know, I don't even know what to say after that. Well, I don't think we need to say anything. I think no, Bob closed it I off think we pretty perfectly. Um, so, uh, Bob, we're going to move on to the shared book of the week. I'll go to you last so you have a few moments okay. to collect yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, Stephanie's not here. Of course not. <laughs> uh, but she assigned um, a book from Black, Black Mask Studios called Mayday. Um, and I have to get up the, um, the created information right here because I don't have a physical copy of it. I only have... Yeah. Um, uh, an online company. Uh, Kurt Peters. Yes. Is the, the writer. That's the writer. But I want to make sure we say the uh, the artist. Chris, nah. Chris Peterson. <laughs> I'm kidding. Chris Peterson? Mm-hmm. Look at Bob. Bob can barely keep it together, and he's he's on top of it more than any of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes. Kurt Peters and Chris Peterson. Um, and the color artist is, whoa, a man a man say Nahulpan. <laughs> I'm sorry, because uh, <laughs> that's a difficult name for me to say. Um, but I want to say it anyway, because color artists are very, very important. Um, so Mayday is, uh, uh, it's it's sort of like a crime, I say a, a crime satire type of book. It's a satire of Hollywood. Um, it's also a crime story. It's about a director who makes a movie that wins an Oscar, and then kind of goes on a bender for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and at kind of his lowest point, he witnesses a murder. 
which he's he's partly accused of. Uh, at the same time, uh, a reporter goes to interview a former actor who has become the head of a cult um, and has some violent tendencies. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that as well. Um, <clears throat> I'll uh, I'll start off with, with my thoughts about it um, really quick, and uh, and, and then I'll I'll, sh- I'll pass it off to everyone else. So uh, for me, May Day is a book that I was pretty torn on. Uh, it it's a book about make about the movie world which I love. I love stories like that. Um, I also love satires, um, and I love kind of heightened crime dramas as well. Uh, so that's the, 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 the kind of concepts behind the book I think are very, very cool. Uh, the book fell short to me also in a couple of places. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like the satire sometimes was too on the nose. Uh, I, I love the idea of having a character that's kind of based on Benicio Del Toro, who's just kind of completely insane. <laughs> But, but yeah. calling him Benicio Cocaine or whatever yeah, right. is just too on the money for me. It, it, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't it doesn't hit that satiric gene that that I that I would that I respond to personally. Um, you know the Michael Bay references as well. They seem very on the money to me. Like Michael Bay is a very easy target, um, and, and so that that stuff I I, I didn't love. Um, Dustin Dustin Beaver was the yeah that's yeah, one as well book, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and, and the thing is, like that, that that stuff distracts me from the already kind of bonkers story that's happening. Which I think there's some good stuff there. Like I I, I think there are some crazy ideas and, and some and some cool things to play on. Uh, but I feel like the book at times is getting in its own way. Uh, and for me, that was a little bothersome. Like I don't I, I I'm a fan of books sometimes that have characters main characters that are unlikable because he's an unlikable main character right he's just like a mm-hmm. he had everything he ever wanted and mm-hmm. he just kind of like pissed it away because he was lazy and um, you know uh, egotistical or whatever uh, and I, I think that's fine like I don't mind watching a character like that you know and I think that the book book brings up some interesting points and some some questions about like what's real and what's not because the the killers that the the, 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 the killing that he witnesses um, is followed up by another killing they witnesses, and it seems a little convenient that mm-hmm. he's there at both of them. So it raises questions in my mind about what is he saying about like, you know, who these killers are, who this guy, how, how does he, how do they relate to our main character? How do they relate to the villain? That stuff kind of picked in my mind. So th- I think there are some interesting moments here, um, and I, I think the art is nice. And the art, I, 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 you know, I, it, it has sort of kind of I think a little bit of like that indie house style to it. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not cartoony. It's not super gritty, but it's somewhere in the middle. You know, uh, it reminds me a little bit of um, that book, Comeback, with yeah. uh, Ed Brisson book. I think Michael Walsh was the artist on that. And Michael Walsh is going to do Secret Avengers. And I like Michael Walsh's art very much, but this reminds me kind of, of that type of look to it. Um, so, yeah, so there were things I liked about it setting some of the character moments, some of the ideas, but a lot of um, the some of the dialogue and some of. Uh, the on, two on the no satire kind of turned me off to what was going on there. Um, Mara, I know you didn't, you don't know, you got asked the last this last minute, so I don't know if you had time to read the book or not. I'm like halfway through it right now. <laughs> okay, so we you, you don't you don't have to worry. We won't ask you to chime in on okay, half the book because I don't yeah. know what I'm thinking about this yet. Yeah, you don't have to chime in on half a book. That, that that's that's not something you have to do. Okay, uh, Steve, Thank what you. did you think of May Day number one? I enjoyed it. I really did. Um, I enjoyed it. I uh, I really really liked. Uh, Kurt's last book pop mm-hmm. a lot that that um four issue run from uh Dark Horse and this kind of carries that same 
kind of like gonzo approach to uh to comic book storytelling in that the premise by itself is very bizarre in like its delivery it kind of felt a little little tarantino to me at times mm-hmm. um i like the idea i mean i don't mean to be presumptuous or anything uh but like the subject matter that pierce has chosen for the things that i've read from him so far are very um kind of like paranoid uh everybody's everybody's suspect all of the the all of the companies you know everything you trust you know they're all out just to get your dollar they're all it's all a part of a, a big machine i mean the last story i read from him was about uh you know genetically manufactured pop stars <laughs> and just a commentary on the music world and and what i guess that genre or that place in music has to offer us and a commentary on how soulless it can be not all of it mm. i'm sure for for people but there's a lot of fluff out there um but in terms of mayday i'm I'm intrigued by it. I'm intrigued by how this guy keeps ending up in these stories. Why him? Mm-hmm. Like, why is he witnessing these murders? Why is he being put in these in these places? If he's being put there by someone, <laughs> and he's just supposed to be this person who directed this fantastic film that everybody loved, but then you know fell off the 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 deep end for two years, and people are waiting for his next hit. But people people turn over in Hollywood so fast, and probably nobody really gives a shit. So what does this guy have, or what do they have on him that they need to maybe put him in a position to be put away for something? Um, maybe something he did during one of his blackouts or, or something like that. So I'm very curious to see who's uh, who could be pulling the strings. And um, I hear what you're saying about like some of the stuff, some of the comedy not really hitting and being uh, a little bit on the nose. I did notice a couple of moments like that. Um, I rolled my eyes a little bit, but like for, for general premise. And like I said earlier, kookiness, like I like that. Um, just like, like Timothy Leary, it, it's somebody decided to sit down and, and, and take a dose or listen to like a tool album and, and write about, you know, the, the big fat cat behind the shadows and stuff like that, pulling all the strings. I like that sense of paranoia in the narrative and in, in the author. I feel a lot of who's writing the book in the characters and in the story, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I'm glad to see he has another one coming out um, from Boom, I believe, called The Tomorrows um, that I'm looking forward to. And um, he's kind of, I've put him, I have like my own little personal labeling system with creators and stuff like that. And I've kind of put him in the Aleshkot bin. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and I like that there are guys out there or or creators, men and women that are writing these really off kilter stories that you kind of have to have an appreciation for that sort of thing to, to get the most out of it. And I just like the idea that there are, you know, bigger companies black mask is just coming out with stuff but they're under the archie label that those things no, that's are, different you think that's dark circle oh jesus i'm sorry <laughs> no i'm thinking what am i what book am i thinking you're thinking of black hood i am who's a character yes yeah in there's, the a archie. Of, there's a lot of black masks and hoods going yes, around yes sir yeah. there's a black mask mystery back in the 40s <laughs> black that's mask pretty... is a newer newish yeah. new publisher yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah i mean honestly i i've never met him i've never talked to him but people like Aleshkot and and Kurt Pierce, like if I were to run into them or bump into them, I could see us having a lot to talk about. Like I share a lot of some of like the beliefs and ideologies that show up in these books. 
not to say that I'm like paranoid or anything like that, but I love just the idea of playing with some 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 conglomerate monster is is in charge of all of this stuff and behind like the government there's this like nasty alien being with these like suckers that's like feeding off of people and using them for batteries <laughs> conceptually i think that stuff's a lot of fun yeah no I, conce- yeah. conceptually i think there's a lot a lot of strong stuff bob yeah. what did you think well there's a name that comes up in a speech early on from terrence that that to me informed the whole sort of thing and I was then let down a little bit. I thought the level of invention early was better than it, it got to. They were a little, fell apart some. But he makes a speech. My name's Terrence Gattaca. I made a movie once. It was sort of like watching Charlie Kaufman make love to David Lynch while Michael Bay filmed with an old school Panavision. Everyone loved it. They gave me a gold statue. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with Charlie Kaufman. Now it's adaptation, oh, yeah. confessions of a dangerous mind. What is reality? What are the layers of what's actually happening you're allowed to bring your own perceptions to it. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was kind of neat. And that, if on the nose, seemed like, okay, we're going to get better from here. Mm-hmm. And we kind of went sideways mm-hmm. from there. There's some murders and very uh, very Tarantino Rodriguez act, a lot, yeah. a lot of violence, mm-hmm. some interesting stuff. We had an interesting, uh, I thought, it w- would be an interesting second character in Keo, who kind of we don't see much of. Yeah. yeah, It goes on. Teased in the solicitations. And she, he has panel or two, page or two, <laughs> yeah. you know, moving forward. But I wasn't given enough to latch on to why I care mm. mm-hmm. yet. Mm. So is this another one of these I should read for them at once? Mm. But then if you're a brand new company, you need to sell me here. Yeah. Mm. And I wasn't completely sold. I'd fan through the next one if I could mm. find it in a store. Yeah. It's interesting mm-hmm. but not engaging perhaps mm-hmm. for me yeah i liked um that some of the panels reminded me um a little bit of like terry gilliam's fear and loathing in las vegas yes he's like at this after party or something and he's sitting on a couch and he just looks over and this girl is like kind of this like fish eye lens look mm-hmm. at this girl mm-hmm. and she's you know are you experienced and it reminds me of when uh hunter s thompson walks into the bathroom and flees in the bathroom he's just what's the trouble yeah, yeah. And I liked the col- the colors in the book, the sensation of being high and the sluggishness and, and the weight on your brain and all of that stuff. So I thought that was entertaining. Yeah, I think yeah. the art was stronger than the story here. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like I said, to me, had a lot of strong stuff. And it, you know, I think it's an interesting book. Uh, but for me, just like you, Bob, it didn't grip me enough to make me want to read an issue number two just because I didn't have... For me, it's very tough... Whether they're characters I like or dislike, when I don't have characters that I really want to grab onto, that's what really propels me through stories. Yeah. Really hate or really like, yeah, I'm good ex- to go if they're in the middle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not sure how to feel about them yet. Mm-hmm. I, I it's, it's tough for me to go on to another issue because it, it's not pulling me through. Because for me, it always like concept um, and ideas get me in the door, but characters are what keep me there. And for me, I didn't I didn't get that yet with with Mayday. Word. Uh, but I think it's definitely worth trying out. Um, yes. It's definitely worth a couple bucks to pick it up and see what you think. Um, you definitely get sort of that Hunter S. Thompson, like Quentin Tarantino meeting type of vibe to it. and uh, Certainly more Tarantino than Red One, for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, this is not a bad book. No, it's not just going to be, is it to your taste? You'll yeah. love it. Yeah. If not, you'll still like it. Yeah. See, if I can find it, this is something that I would pick up. Mm. Like, I mm-hmm. definitely, if I can find uh, Mayday number two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab it. All right. Yep. Cool. All right, so that's Mayday number one uh, from Black Mask Studios. Uh, 
We're going to take a little break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about Avengers <gasps> Age of Ultron. We're back, and uh, we have a couple things that I forgot to mention before we uh, we left. First of all, there's a couple tweets from our, our listeners about May Day, and I wanted to get to huh. those. Um, uh, Mike D, who's at uh, S- Superhero Chef, but soup is spelled like the food soup. soup. Genius. Oh, that's great. Uh, May Day number one was crazy. Love the pop culture references, the social commentary, and the art is unique. Um Hashtag Gonzo vibe. Hey, there <laughs> yeah. you go. Uh, and Mike at Liberal Bastion says, didn't really care for Mayday. Seemed derivative and unreal. Um, so next week, uh, Steve, or this week, I guess, it's already out because we're, ne- we're obviously a day late. Hmm. Uh, Secret Wars number one is going to be our uh, Talk Comics book of the week. That's it. Because, um, uh, yeah, we got to talk about it. So <laughs> this is the best way to force us to talk about it. No, but I'm actually excited to, it's to, crazy. to, to read it. I'm excited to read it. Um, Siva's already read it because it's it's Wednesday when we're yeah. recording. Yeah, I haven't yet. I was late getting here, as a yeah. matter of fact. So, I yeah. think that we will enjoy it. Well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, we will see when we get there. But uh, yeah, so our book of the week next week will be that. And if you guys want to get your thoughts in about that, hashtag TCBOTW for your book of the week. Very good. And sorry, it's coming a little late, guys. Um, we know that we're a day late, so a lot of you got to the shop already, which is part of the impetus between us picking Secret Wars because we figured most people who listen are probably buying it. So we have a better chance than not of that book hitting. So people have to go back to the shops maybe. I'm looking out for your wallets. And we we go from from possibly the most anything we possibly could have picked to something you know, something you barely can't find in stores. To the most mainstream comic. The only the other, yeah, other thing that was up was uh, Roche Limit Clandestiny, but yeah. I didn't know if you would have had to read the first trade in yeah. order to follow that. Yeah. So Secret Wars it is. Mm. Secret Wars, yeah. you just have to read like yeah, eight years of, of, of Hickman yeah. books. So your assignment is to read all of Hickman's Avengers, yes. the new Avengers, oh. yes. and find the zero issue for and, and free comic book day. Yeah. Point one and yeah, yeah. yeah, all of that stuff, and then read Secret Wars one. Come back and talk to us about it next yeah. week because we didn't want to make you confused about not having read four issues no. of any book. <laughs> no. Um, uh, no, but that should be fun. It should be fun. Uh, yes. I uh, on free comic book day when I was actually at that shop, I bought a couple trades of indie series couple that i read the first issue of um light the life after um and uh the woods which oh, is by cool. james last name none of us know how to pronounce correctly because yeah. i've never heard it pronounced um and i also bought the first trade of manifest destiny oh you're oh, gonna love that love which that which i haven't i don't really have I didn't, I didn't read the first issue of it I, I, oh it's so good i barely know anything about it so i know mara you spoke very highly of it last week I, i'm looking forward to checking it out yeah um, but we're not here to talk about comics anymore. We're here to talk about movies. Oh, <laughs> boy. It's Avengers Age of Ultron came out. Um, the sequel to the 2012 third highest grossing movie of all time. Yes. Yes. Avatar, Titanic, yes. Avengers. Is and then that Avengers. how this works? Yes. Um, premiered this past weekend. To the second biggest opening of all time. Yes, behind itself. Behind its, <laughs> behind its predecessor. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it had with like 196 
something, 198. Right. It was the, a lot higher. That was 187. Thought. No, it, they, they predicted 187, but it, it only dropped the, like 11 percent or something like that. Mm. They expect a much bigger drop. Mm. So, um, and the number two movie of the week made six million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where did all the dollars go this week? Well, I think we know. Uh, so uh, obviously, like I said before at the beginning, but you know, it's been a little while, so. Um, we're not going to talk spoilers at first. We're going to talk general impressions, and you know we'll bring up some moments, mm-hmm. but nothing that's going to latter part of the film. Nothing that's about you know the, the climax. Nothing that's about really the, the the surprises of the movie. But if you don't want to know anything about the movie, you probably shouldn't listen to the review because you, you're going to hear stuff probably you don't want to hear. Um, but then we're going to give a very clear delineation, and then we're going to go into spoiler territory, and we're going to talk freely about them. So once we're past that point, game over. So you get, yeah. you, you get yeah. ready to all hear all bets are all off. Bets are off. Um, so, you know, Age of Ultron, follow up to Avengers, uh, Tony Stark, uh, and Bruce Banner, uh, come, uh, are, are working on and create an Ultron, a robot, which is supposed to help protect the world. Things go very, very wrong. And <laughs> you have to, we have to, they have to try to defeat Ultron. That's the story of Avengers Age of Ultron. Reasonably in, so, in, yes. in the broad stroke yeah. format. Um, we also have, you know, uh, the introduction of Wanda and Pietro Maximoff um, into, into the world, as well as some other characters, some other new faces. Um, but yeah, so you know, for me, uh, Avenger, the first Avengers, um, w- was a fantastic experience watching it. It's a movie I've watched I don't know how many times at this point, over twenty probably at this point. Um, so a lot of expectations going into Avengers: Age of Ultron, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I, I know what Bob thought of it already. I know yes. what I thought of it already. I'm pretty sure I know what Mara thought of it because she's seen it three times. But um, <laughs> let's go. All Steve, the opinions yeah. go there. Steve, what did you think of Avengers: Age of Ultron in a in a broad sense? Here we go. Uh. Okay, I thought it was really good. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. I liked it a lot. I did not love it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I went to go and see Avengers the first time. The first one, I saw it in Manhattan, opening night, midnight, with a raucous crowd of people crammed into a giant theater two hours before the film even started. So it was riled up and crazy. Um, cheering and standing ovations and, and you know, simultaneous ruptures of laughter. Uh, by the end of the movie... I I like fist pumped and was just like, like that was so good. And the first thought that I had when age of Ultron was over was I need to see this again. Um, general impressions. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. I thought there were a lot of solid moments um, that I'll get into some more in detail uh, when we talk spoilers. But um, I find that a lot of what people have been criticizing the movie for in recent days that those were some of the aspects of the film that I liked the most. Um, I liked the idea of the the cooperation between the heroes. There was lots and lots and lots of crazy comic book action that was, I mean, lifted right off of the pages. To see it on the big screen and done, done so well was awesome. Um, I have a couple of like technological nitpicks in terms of uh, special effects and stuff like that. I saw what I would equate to glitches in in the animation. Um, if you didn't see it, you didn't see it, but I, I did. And when a movie is so like outrageously gorgeous in its execution and and stuff, to see just like a 
instance of it being marred or something not working out or somebody rushed a scene and it just looked bad, it sticks in my craw. Mm -hmm. That's just me. Um, but I mean, overall, I had a good time with, I had a good crowd. Um, there were moments that I absolutely loved. It's funny how my, my two favorite moments in the film aren't even one, one of them is a pretty big and pivotal scene, but it was a lot of the tinier quips in the film that just, I think are going to hold up over time and, and really, uh, really worked for me in, in a big way. Um, but I just, I just did not feel the like energetic, excited charge that I felt with, with the first film. Um, but like, you know, we'll get into spoilers and I want to, I want to toss the, the talking stick to somebody else. Really, really enjoyed it. Had a lot of fun. Um, but not, not perfect in, in my, in my mind. All right. Mara, what did you think? It was so exciting. Like, I don't know if I was cold in the theater or if I was just shaking from excitement, but I shook that entire movie. And I was just, I mean, every time something cool came on screen, I was basic, oh, I'm sitting next to my husband. So I just punch him. I was like, yeah, just do that. <laughs> and he hated me. We got out of the theater. I just kept punching him. I was like, did you love that part? Did you love it? Um, uh, it was one, like, literally after the credits we looked at each other and we thought let's just buy the ticket for the next show let's just sit here and, and watch the next show but it was sold out because you know it was opening night um I, i'd have to say I, i've read a lot of people didn't like the extended action scenes but that's pretty much all i like in movies anyway um so i loved it i wanted more fighting i, I just wanted you know to see the entire team come together and and work in, in unison and that's something that you know all these individual movies have been leading up to a movie where we don't have to have you know an origin story we don't have to have them you know fight against each other we want to see them fight together and that's what we got in this movie um black widow was amazing in it i don't care what y'all haters say <laughs> i have i'm with you mara i actually have i mean i have responses to the general feel against Black Widow in this movie. And, you know, if you sit and think about it, it was very well executed. It opened up the character even more. And I left that movie wanting my Black Widow solo movie right now. Same here. Mm -hmm. So I highly recommend seeing it with a bunch of kids, though. I went <laughs> the second time I went, it was 10 a.m. Saturday morning and it was somebody's birthday party. And all the kids were <laughs> sitting behind me and they got so excited. Like um, the first time Pietro and Wanda showed up on screen, Kay goes, that's Quicksilver. Quicksilver, <laughs> do you know that? <laughs> they're just like, and, you know, another character comes up and they're, they're whispering to each other. And um, these are like eight or nine year olds. So that gives me hope for the future. <laughs> it was very exciting. <laughs> that's, that's great. Um, Bob, general impressions. General impressions. I'm going to agree with some of what Steve says generally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Bob. Don't leave me alone and, on the and, island. And, and, <laughs> and, on, and on particularly as well, some of it, as we discussed on our, our Patreon show that we did in the parking lot, managed not to get arrested for. <laughs> um, why would you have gotten arrested I don't for know. that? Well, you're sitting in a car just talking with the lights on, having been pulled over years ago for having the light on in a car on a parkway. Mm. You know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Another, a story for a Patreon podcast. Oh, I nearly got arrested. <laughs> 
for having cocaine in a car. Who's that? Oh. Whoa. <laughs> the, you got to pay for that you one. Gotta pay for that you got to pay for that story. I got some, um, good, I got some good stories. <laughs> the Avengers, the first film, is my favorite superhero movie of all time. So it's going to be really hard for anything to measure up in my own imagination as we go forward. Mm. I'd like to think, however, that I can be objective enough to say that there's kind of a clunky second act here that I understand what they're doing. There's a lot of character development. But the first time around, it was so seamless. It happened as the story unfolded. Right. And here it's a little bit, look what we're doing here. And mm. there's this and there's that. And some of that is necessary and some isn't. And when you read what's been cut and put back and pasted together, it's a little yeah. different. Than, but that's more particular. Generally speaking, I had a great time. I thought the introduction of the new characters was all very, very successfully done. We all we cared about all of them, which is tough to do. They don't have all that much screen time. Mm -hmm. It's all little bits and pieces. So that's really, really clever writing and the way it's all put together. Everyone has their moments, again, just as in the first one. There are some down moments I wasn't as thrilled with, which would cut this down. And now I'm sounding like a naysayer. Mm. All that said, this is a three-star movie. And if you had told me 25 years ago we could have an Avengers movie that I would think was not up to snuff and was still three stars, I, you'd smack me silly with a, with a carp or something. So <laughs> yeah. just a, a, it's a really solid entertainment, if not as perfect as the first one was. If you love the first one, if you love everything that's led up to this, you're going to want to see this and see it repeatedly. I was going today, except I'm here. So <laughs> I would have, I'd have gone yesterday, but I had other stuff to do. So maybe tomorrow I'll see it a second time. My opinion may change. Mm -hmm. Maybe not much. Particulars, I think we'll, we'll get into that as we move yeah, forward. Yeah. But really solid movie. Go ahead, Steve. If you go to see it tomorrow, give me a call. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, you know, I mentioned on this show, and I mentioned in the past, like, for me, <clears throat> when I'm very excited about something, when I'm watching Age of Ultron for the first time, because I love the Avengers so much, I'm looking for things. I'm, I'm expecting things and not getting things. I'm expecting, and then getting them, getting different things, whatever they might be. And so expectations play a big role. So I saw Age of Ultron, and I, and I really liked it a lot. Um, but well, I, much like Steve, I was like, I want to see this again, because mm -hmm. for me... What happens with the movies a lot of times is the second time I watch them, when I'm not looking for something that's not there, when I'm actually just enjoying the movie for what it right. is, I enjoy it more. And yeah. so that's why I made sure I wanted to see Avengers again before we did the show, and I saw it again on Monday, and I and, and I liked it more the second time I saw it. Um, you know, I, I like I said I've watched I've watched Aven the first Avengers movie you now over twenty times, and at a certain point, like you know the. <clears throat> the pure excitement of just like seeing those characters on screen wears off and you start to see what, what the, the cracks might be in, in, there. And I've seen those in the first Avengers movies now after watching it. It doesn't make me like the movie any less because I firmly believe that when you watch a movie or you read a story, there's very rarely, if ever, a perfect story. It's all about does it do enough right where you don't care about it what it does wrong that's kind of what, how I think about storytelling and movies in general and for me Age of Ultron definitely does more right than it, than it does wrong I have some story problems with it I think that there are some conveniences in the plot yeah. that exist that I, that I don't really love and whether or not things were cut out or not or whatever battles Joss Whedon had with the studio you, what, what's on the screen is on the screen and I'm not right. reviewing Joss Whedon's career I'm reviewing you know what, what movie I got to see I had to pay my money for what other people are going to pay money for and there are some plot issues with it one specifically that we'll talk about when we get into spoiler territory mm -hmm. that I really don't like even the second time watching it but the things that I do like about it are, 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 are huge and that's 
first of all, it's a two and a half hour long movie, which I feel like it feels like it's an hour and twenty minutes. Absolutely, um, it, it runs by so quickly. There, the, the movie, and, and it does that with. Um, with breathing moments as well with that, like the party scene that we see and there's a scene at a farm later on. And these are breathing moments where you're not dealing with just action, which I think is quite interesting in, in that kind of movie. Um, I think the performances are all very, very good. You know, again, it, you expect Hemsworth and Downey and, um, you know, uh, Evans and Scarlett Johansson to, to be great. Um, because they've been great in, in all these other movies. Um, but they, they did a great job. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson and um, Elizabeth Olsen were both really stellar in those roles. And I think it's, it's, it's about the writing, but it's also about their performance. And you get a lot of sense of who they are with very little dialogue. And, and I think that's, that's great. Um, you know, uh, I, I, obviously we know, it's not a spoiler to say, Paul Bettany is, is the vision. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to how he gets created or whatever happens if you haven't seen the movie. But... Every scene that he's in, mm-hmm. he steals every scene that he's he's in. He's so good. Yeah, uh, he's so and and again, it's it's that he has this quiet dignity and stillness that it's such a it's such a contrast. The hugeness that's going on all around him, which I just loved. Um, you, you know, uh, that stuff I really liked a lot. Uh, I, I thought that the action scenes w- were great. I think that it's cool to see, and I think we've seen this in the Marvel movies in Phase Two. You see, all the heroes are a little bit better at being those heroes at, 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 at this point. So, in in Captain America: Winter Soldier, he was on a whole different level of fighting than he was in the first Avenger. Yeah. In, in Iron Man three, he's like he does a bunch of stuff that like he, he didn't do in, in in the first two movies. In this movie, the Avengers are working together like they've been working yeah, together for a while. Yeah, they're a well-oiled machine yes. at this yeah. point. Yeah, and you know the movie is a lot about like t- tearing that down in some points, but. It's very cool to see that they have a rapport, they have tactics they take, they have skills that they employ, and it, it changed my expectations because I thought we were going to see like the first time they came back together, and that's not what we get. You get we're right in the middle of it, and, and they're just going, um, which is a stark change from you know what, what the first movie was. No, yeah, no squabbling, no pun intended. So so. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the movie has some stuff to live up to, right? Because no longer is it your jaw doesn't drop anymore because you see Captain America and Iron Man on the same screen fighting together. In the first movie, it was like, oh my God, they're fighting, it's, it's amazing. You know, the, that, that, that wonder isn't there anymore right away because you've seen it before. So the movie has to do more. And, and I think that it does do more and, it, and, it, and I think in some ways it has things that are better than the first movie and I think in some ways it has things that are worse than the first movie. Um, overall, I think that it ranks very highly for me after seeing it the second time. I want to see it again. Um, but despite some downfalls as far as plot, I, I think it does a, a really great job um, of of succeeding as p- most definitely the most comic book ass comic book movie that's ever existed. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> it it just just you thought the reins were off in the Avengers. The mm-hmm. reins are definitely off here. Just all the characters, all of the all of the crazy ideas, all of you know all that stuff. I think is just is pretty great. Um, Mara, what did you think of uh, Ultron, James Spader? Uh, appropriately creepy. <laughs> um, I I really appreciated, like, going into this movie, I didn't do a lot of, like, background research um, as far as, like, behind the scenes and looking into different aspects of the movie. So I came into it thinking Ultron was going to be portrayed as this really dark, um, awful, dangerous robot guy. Which he was, but he also had like the best quips and was hilarious. And I thought they were delivered very well. Um, And I I think 
his his story throughout the movie um, from creation until the very end of the movie um, had a nice arc to it and it made me feel almost a little bit um, it made me feel some emotions for him not like deep not like deep like oh Ultron's a good guy but kind of like <laughs> oh okay I can understand him a little bit better um, I I really hope we might see something similar to him later in the movies or some sort of um, like reference back to the whole a- AI thing and um, the danger. I, I, I don't want to, okay, I'm going to ask this. <laughs> say too much else, but I just, I want more Ultron. Gotcha. Want more. Hmm. Uh, Bob. Well, Ultron lives forever, Mara. So, he, he, <laughs> yes. you know, the, the, the first time you saw him, they chopped his head off and he just <laughs> basically, you know, got someone, who he controlled to regrow his body and then it became adamantium and you know we go from there i feel the reverse of you however (laughs) in that i am very invested in the old ultron and i love that they still have the oedipal idea that it's he and his dad Mm. at a certain level i didn't want to see a quippy ultron i expected a different sort of performance from james spader Mm-hmm. A more chilling, coldly calculating, logical, sort of the evil version of Mr. Spock, mm. who might have something wry to say, but not kind of tell jokes. And what seemed interesting in little clips in those trailers didn't play for me as well across two and a half hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed that it was him, but it was him and not Ultron mm. at a certain level. So I think it makes sense based on his origin story in the movie about why he's so quippy. Wait, because he's like and, the inverse yeah. of Tony in, in, yeah. in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it made sense to me, but mm-hmm. I don't have that same long history of um, knowing the Ultron character. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think the only Ultron story I've ever read was Age of Ultron, the crossover comic. Okay. And gotcha. I was not very invested in that. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what do you think of Ultron? Um, I thought he was very charismatic, which uh, was kind of a surprise for me. Um, Like Bob, I kind of expected him to be a little bit more evil. I mean, he's evil. Yeah, he's pretty evil. No matter what's going on, yeah, he's a bad guy. (laughs) I I liked the idea that Ultron, Ultron was, they were facing off a villain who is just, his modus operandi is to wipe everyone out. You know, Loki in the first film, like he had an agenda and he was doing his thing. It was more of like a like a villainy heist kind of thing, and there were there were stakes, but the stakes were not nearly as high as what Ultron brought to the table. Um, I think the quipping does make sense in that he is the inverse of Tony, the way that they that they built him and the way that he came to be. Um, I think I'm a little too familiar with James Spader in his current work and doing the blacklist. Um, I've seen just, I think every episode of that. And there was a lot of like red Reddington in the Ultron character. It could just be because of his voice, but the red Reddington character has this thing where anytime you watch him on screen, his neck is cocked to the side. Well, that's just James oh. Spader. Speaks. That's just James Spader. I, my girlfriend and I both, because we have like a private joke about this. We started watching Blacklist together. We lost our minds when 
uh, Pietro and and Wanda are telling him their backstory and stuff, and he's like watching them, and he just cocks his head to the side, yeah. and oh my god, I lost my mind. <laughs> but um, I mean, that stuff aside, I thought he was a really good villain. He was as I, I mentioned the the technological stuff before. One of the three gripes I talked about involved him, but. Re- Regardless of that, he looked spectacular. Yes. Um, particularly the scenes where like you were really up and in his face. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the articulation of the way that his mouth, in particular, the way that that moved, and the way that the the gears kind of turned to, like every time, and and how much he opened up his mouth was how much the gears on the side of his mouth turned. And like I was watching that stuff very carefully. They paid a lot of attention that every mouth movement had like a set of parameters that they stuck to the whole time and they never tried to go farther with it. And I think that restraint made him more imposing and gave him this like cold darkness, even though he was kind of smiling and kind of, you know, quippy and jokey. There was still this menace to to everything that was coming uh, from him, which I thought was very cool. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts on yeah. the time. <laughs> I mean, I I, 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 pretty much, I, I was, like, I, I was surprised when we first got into the real scenes with him, and he was being that way. He was being much more uh, James Spadery <laughs> than I go. than I expected him to be because I didn't, ex- I expected the same thing you did, yeah. um, and I was not put off by it, but but just kind of uh, taken out of it for a couple minutes because of it. Um, but going back into it, I, I I really enjoyed it, and and you know I'm but before I was ever a comic book fan, before I was ever a big these characters fan, I was a big Joss Whedon fan before any of that. And this the way he wrote Ultron, and the way Ultron speaks, and the way he conducts himself, and the way he balances kind of the he's kind of funny, but he's also like you know the worst being in the world. Is a very Whedon thing to do. Very Spike. It's very yeah. Spike. It's yeah. very the. If anyone's seen Buffy, the mayor character in season three oh, of Buffy, yes, absolutely. he's very like the mayor in Buffy the Vampire Slayer to me. In that similar, like I'm just a nice guy, and then I'm going to kill you. You know, but that that <laughs> sort of thing I really liked. Um, the reason I liked it is because I think it brought layers to the character that I wasn't expecting as well. Those moments, like Mara said, there's moments where you kind of actually feel bad for him at moments. And I didn't expect that, and and, like, and and I enjoyed that. Like he's just trying to act within what he knows. Exactly. Yeah. And he doesn't know a whole lot. Yeah. He he he, he has a central thesis, and he's just gone about it the the wrong way. It's just yeah. warped. Um, but he feels it's the right way. Exa- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like most it's the great only villains, way. like most great villains do, they believe what they're doing is the only way. Um, so I like that. I like that. Yeah, I liked Ultron a lot, and um, I was. I liked how they used him as far as like the action stuff goes, and I liked that they I liked that they brought in both the new look and they kind of called back to the original look mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, I, I I really like that stuff. Uh, you know, I was also there's there's a lot of stuff in the movie. Um, we talk about the Daredevil a lot, where it plays off of consequences in, 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 to your actions and what's happening, and um, I think there are two kind of. I don't. We're not going to spoil that. There's two kind of major action scenes that happen. Two huge action scenes happen in kind of a, in a public venue. Um, there's more that happen in a, in a less public venue. A couple that are less destructive, but two pretty destructive action sequences that happened. Um, one of which is one that you've seen very much in the trailers, which is the the the, the Hulk Iron Man in the Hulkbuster uh, 
armor fight. Um, and one is the final action sequence. We're not going to talk about the final action sequence no. at all because it's something that I don't want to spoil for people who haven't seen it. Um, but the uh, you know uh, the, uh, the 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 first action sequence is, is interesting because um, it deals with a lot of um, what's going on with Banner, and I, I think it's not about what happens in the action scene is very cool. You know, it's very fun and big, and like you get to see some crazy stuff. It's it's that great mix of you know super intense and then funny. Um, when kind of Tony is just punching yeah, yeah. him rapidly yeah. with that like hammer fist that he has, yeah, very Bugs Bunny there, <laughs> yeah, too, yeah, yelling, yeah. telling him to go to sleep. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and there and then there's just big dramatic stuff, right? And um, you know, I think that there's a lot of destruction and and a lot of um stuff that happens that that is probably hurting many people. Um, what I think is good is that in the aftermath of it, you know, Bruce is basically ready to give up being a, a superhero to go away because of, of what, yes. what he, this worst nightmare basically c- coming true. And, um, I, if, you know, it's interesting because I think in the first Avengers movie, the Hulk is so successful because, um, they ditch a lot of the constant consternation of, that Bruce Banner is always under. Cause if you, whether it's, whether it's the, the TV show or whether it's the Ang Lee movie or whether yeah. it's the Edward Norton movie, he's always really bummed out about being the Hulk, you know? <laughs> and the first movie ditches a lot of that. Be- I'm always angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and goes yeah. into something else. And this movie brings some of that back, right? We, we get back into that idea of, like, I can't be anyone else. My, uh, you know, I'm not in control. I'm going to hurt people scenario with Bruce. And um, I, I didn't know how to feel about that at first, but I do like that it, that, that scene plays so heavily on the entire movie and the entire outcome of the movie in, in a lot of ways um it's just something that i thought of while, while yeah, i was watching yeah, we it. can't say too much until later yeah but that does play into things that happen yes, later on absolutely it is a wonderful sequence that may go on a bit too long mm. it might have helped trim a mm. couple of minutes away from it but it is it is very well done mm. the special effects in the sequence are great the yeah. hulkbuster armor is right out of the books yeah veronica Yes. <laughs> and does that play on the fact that the Hulk's girlfriend was yep. Betty Ross? That's okay. exactly what it is. That's what I thought. Okay. Yes, it's Betty and Veronica. Uh, there is another Easter egg in Tony's computer I, programs I we'll talk about later, yes. but <laughs> which could play somewhere down the yes, road. Yes, it could. There is still in all this, and certainly in the later sequence, mm. which we'll talk about, there is the idea of consequence within that sequence. The yes. other consequences we'll talk about too, but yeah. where there are civilians and we see them. There aren't just empty buildings like a 60s Godzilla movie that are made of cardboard shoeboxes mm-hmm. that fall over. There are people fleeing and mm. in terror and it's it plays upon, yeah, there's humor in the sequence, but there's also, oh, that's scary. Mm-hmm. Which it plays off both aspects of that because it's scary, it's funny mm. in a different way than ha ha, I'm laughing, stuff getting blown up. Yeah, no, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not exactly that. And we move further on into the other parts of the movie. It is let's deal with civilian casualties early on, as a matter of fact, in the first sequence in the in Europe. Yeah. It's let's get the Iron Legion out <coughs> to prevent yeah. mm-hmm. casualties, to prevent yeah. collateral damage. I'm sure it's a let's thumb our nose at mm. what happened before, mm. but it, it's a philosophy, mm-hmm. 
And if you like this philosophy, it helps. Mm-hmm. If you don't, it doesn't. But it it made a difference for me. Yeah, I mean, and let's be fair. Like, some of the destruction is still wanton, and, and I think that yes. it's some of his lip service, right? I mean, there's some stuff that's still, like, we just want to do a cool action sequence, so we're going to blow up a bunch of stuff and then say a couple lines, and hopefully it'll make yeah. up for what we did. So it's, like, I said the same thing about Winter Soldier back then when, the, like, you know, the aircraft carrier destruction and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. there are people who are going to die because of that, and they don't really yeah. address it. The gunplay in that sequence on the highway. How yeah. many people get shot while they're shooting at Nick Fury. Yeah. Well, you know, all those people on the sidewalk are dead. Yeah, yeah. Those are bad guys, to be fair. <laughs> yeah. You know, because so the yeah, bad guys... you know, there's some lady with her dog. I know, but it's it's probably the bad the guys are hurting too. people, it's like, they're bad guys, so that's what they do. Okay, we'll give them that. You know, but when the heroes are doing it, that's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, so they're... To, to me, it, it's not always about the, the act, it's about how the act is dealt with in, in, mm. in context. Um, I still think this movie does a better job than I think just about any of them have, have done so far to go out of its way to make a point of the Avengers are there to save people first and then to get rid of the enemy second. Yeah. Um, I still think there's more that these, these the movies can do at a point. But there's a line, too, where you, you do so much... If you do too much, then it becomes like, well, what's the point of having an action sequence? Yes. Because if it's all just about... like making excuses then it's not fun anymore so it becomes a boy scout troop instead of superhero yeah team. so yeah. there's a line definitely um and i think this gets closer to the line than a lot of other things have gotten to um i, w- I was more appreciative about especially in the last action sequence mm-hmm. much more than that, f- that that first big one but yeah i think that's i mean i don't know if anybody has any thoughts on that stuff but yeah. no no yeah not really um so uh do you have any other non-spoiler thoughts we want to go over here Non-spoiler thoughts. Stan's cameo is great. Stan's cameo is very good. It's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we go with that. That's yeah. always that's always good. As with before, every hero has their moment. Mm. There may be some down moments here and there, mm. but it is still. Look, Whedon does a great job with ensembles, mm. and that's all here. There are single heroes. There are teams. Some you don't expect which are fun, mm-hmm. out, out of nowhere, and one maybe not so, I'll get to later. <laughs> but we have the overriding idea of teamwork and camaraderie and friendship that no matter what goes wrong, and, and there are things that go wrong for the team, for the film itself, you, you leave with a smile. Mm. And that's what I go to this kind of movie for. Mm-hmm. I want to celebrate the idea of heroism and self-sacrifice and all the rest of it, and they're all here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's awfully positive for me. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I want to say, too, I think that the, not getting detailed about it, but the, the dream sequences, I love the idea of the dream sequences that happened because of Wanda's yeah. power. I think that was a cool change-up uh, for the movie. I like the way that they illustrate Quicksilver's power as well. Mm-hmm. There's no singular scene that's as cool as the scene in Days of Future Past, but the fact that he's in the entire movie... I think makes up for that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like his portrayal. I like the more, um, like the more conflicted portrayal that's going on with him uh, rather than the Evan Peters character. Though I love that character in Days of right. Past. I think he was great. Well, I thought they found it, this isn't too spoilery. Mm-hmm. Everyone sort of knows mm-hmm. the corporate politics mm-hmm. and all the rest that goes on. You can't mention yeah. Magneto here, obviously. Mm-hmm. Or Mutant. Or Mutant. Yeah. yeah, they're miracles and twins. <laughs> and they'll be in humans one <laughs> yeah. of these days. What we have, though, is an interesting way to graft what was their original Marvel publishing history mm-hmm. as, as being Magneto's henchman mm-hmm. to being somebody else's, but they're still the same arc. Yeah. Which is really very, very smartly done. Yeah, uh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, and I, I like the way that uh, you get that one scene where, you know, they y- y- if you if you watch the end of Winter Soldier, you know that they got experimented on and that's how they mm-hmm. gained their powers. And there's a scene with Captain America talking to Maria Hill, you know, where she goes, can you believe that they signed up, you know, for this? And he goes, yeah, yeah. what a monster. Who let a German scientist experiment on them <laughs> to help their country? Yeah. And, you know, she says, we're not at war. And he goes, yeah. Yeah, but they are. And I think that's a good way of painting the other side of the picture, you yeah. know, that they're not just villains, right? They, they have a reason <laughs> behind what they're doing. They're not, they don't want to be agents of Hydra. That's not why they're doing what they're doing. They're doing it because they have a real vendetta because something happened to their family. And I, and I liked that idea of, of that uh, very much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, for me, like I said, a couple plot things, I think there's a couple, uh, like very, like not, not the, any of the Avengers, but some of like the, 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 the side characters get, I think a little bit of short shrift, mm-hmm. um, just because they're kind of visited for a couple minutes and then gone, you know, um, a- a- and, uh, th- that's really my, my biggest issues with the movie. I think, just a little bit of a clunkiness here and there, but overall, I, I had a really great time yeah. with it. Hmm. Yeah. Any overall impressions before we go? Any anything else you want to say? No, I, I said a lot of stuff. No, I just you know, like I said, I I really enjoyed it. Um, felt that it was you know bombastic and ridiculous, uh, if not a little overstuffed, uh, a little too fast, and like I said, something that my first thought was that I want to see it again because. Not only did I enjoy it and just want to see it again for the sake of watching a cool movie, but um, upon a first viewing, felt like I had perhaps missed a lot of things or some some key scenes that seemed pivotal to bringing things together were either not edited properly or were just there and they were there real fast. And I wasn't entirely sure why we were there. We'll get into some of that mm. stuff in spoiler territory. Um, just like Avengers was one cohesive through line, and I was able to follow every moment of it and, and really soak in all of all of the movie. While watching this, I was so busy trying to keep up with it that I felt that I wasn't able to really like put my feet up and enjoy it upon a first viewing, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I I'll either get the same amount on a second viewing or this time I'll be able to actually sit back and analyze and watch those key scenes that I felt I didn't absorb entirely the first time. And perhaps upon watching it again, those scenes will make more sense for me and it'll bring the movie together a little bit more for me. Um, just it's strange to, walk away this is the first marvel movie that i've walked away from where like i wasn't like jittering leaving the theater like i wasn't like shaking with excitement and being like oh my god oh my god like i gotta like i gotta call my mom and tell her like we're going to see age of ultron which i am doing anyway (laughs) but um just that that fever and, and level of excitement um was missing for me regardless of having like a really really good time okay so Mara, any, any closing non-spoilery thoughts from you? Um, I I read on the internet at some point, somebody compared this movie to a mid-season finale um, in that everything just kind of just preps you for the next stage while also like throwing in a bunch of stuff. So you have to come into it knowing a lot of things and you have to leave ready for more, basically. So that's kind of... Um, you know, I, I agree with that perspective. All right. All right. So this is the line, guys. Full spoilers from, from here on out. Um, so if you guys haven't seen the movie or 
um, you care about spoilers for Age of Ultron, <laughs> now it's time to tune out. If you have seen the movie or you don't care, you can keep on listening. So from now on, full spoilers. Um, all right, so uh, big things from Age of Ultron, the spoiler talk. So a couple of huge things happen, right? So Quicksilver's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's the first That's the first thing. Um it, you know, uh, Wheaton, as far as interviews, has said that he is dead, dead. Like, he can't have a... He's like, I felt disingenuous having a war movie and not having a casualty. Um, so, Quicksilver is gone. Um, you know, whether what, whatever Marvel does from here on out, obviously, is not his business, and he, they'll do what they're going to do. there's a gimmick within the movie where you could bring him back, in yeah. essence, with Helen Cho's cradle. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what a waste of a character that I really got to love look, through all mm. these years. But within this movie itself... Performance was great. The way it was written was great. Wanda's twin, but also sort of older brother, mm-hmm. looking out for her. It's all there. It, he dies through a great moment of self-sacrifice, so he's had a wonderful arc through mm-hmm. the movie itself, going from hating to loving. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, look, we it's death by Whedon. <laughs> it does this a lot. And it, it's not as gut-wrenching as it could be because he's only been introduced mm-hmm. here. It's not losing Phil Coulson mm-hmm. the way we did the last time. So th- the point of it's lost to me a little bit, especially considering what the Avengers history is moving forward in the books, which we kind of deal with as we get to Avengers headquarters at the end and mm-hmm. some new version of Cap's kooky quartet is mm-hmm. there. I'd love Pietro to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think there are... It was unnecessary hmm. to, to to channel Stephanie, who's not here with us. <laughs> I agree. Today. Yeah, I, I got to like his his death affected me very little when it, when it happened, and I keep for whatever reason, if somebody wants to enlighten me, I've had about five people point out Cap's line of uh, you know you go down, you just got to walk it off. Yeah, and I've had like three phones shoved in my face with that with that written on it. You got to walk it off, and they just look at me like knowingly, and I'm like, what am I supposed to? pull from that what are you trying to say walk it off why because he runs fast i don't get it so if you guys know what the hell they're that's, talking that's about that's better what saying isn't it is when cap's like if you get killed just walk it off yeah. and then yeah, right but, after he says that it cuts to pietro who's like trying to take a deep breath and then run all right um, yeah. so it's a, it's a reference to is he coming back is he yeah. going to walk it mm-hmm. off um, I, it's I, like listening to Beatles records backwards, yeah. looking for stuff. I think at a certain level, like, I like yeah. the, I like the the self sacrificing and and his turn in the movie from you know who he is at the beginning to becoming an Avenger throughout and doing the selfless thing that an Avenger would do. I mean, one of the best lines in the whole movie is when Hawkeye is kind of laying out, Absolutely. you know, yeah. everything to Scarlet Witch. And he says, like, more so, like, there were a lot of, like, inspirational, let's go get him speeches, but that moment with Hawkeye, to me, was one of the best in the whole movie, where he's like, you know, you can can take whatever time you need, but if you walk out of that door, you are an Avenger. Mm -hmm. That made me, like, mentally fist pump. I was like, oh, man, that was such a good line. Yeah, that's my favorite scene in the movie. I have goosebumps. Goosebumps. Um, Just from thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, if they, let's just say, for argument's sake, if he wasn't dead, if they brought him back, does that, I don't know what kind of message that would send both to kids watching the film and also you start to get into the muddy territory of we brought Coulson back through Cree technology. If we bring Quicksilver back, are the deaths in these movies going to mean anything? No, I don't think you need to kill him in the first place. Mm. Well, I, I, I think there are, ways, there, no, there, there are ways around. I thought Clint was going to die. 
I was so convinced. Well, that's what they set up the entire yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. They're pulling the bait and switch on you. But like when he's when you see the kid underneath the yeah. rubble, I looked at my girlfriend. I was like, Ah, oh, he's done. It's <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah. Happy family back on the farm. Dead. <laughs> All dead. <laughs> and we could, we cut to the farm in heaven or whatever we're gonna do. Yeah, but the, the bait and switch was used somewhere else, which we'll talk about mm. a little later. Do you have to have someone die if that becomes the trope itself? Well, I mean, here's the thing, though. I mean. Um, uh, I think that there's two ways to look at this, right? We're looking at it from the, I know this character in the comics, I want him to continue, he has a lot of good stories to tell. But when you, but the thing about movies is they can't, they can't function the same way comics function. Mm-hmm. You can't, they don't, they're not going to go on as long, for one thing. They, they only happen every couple of years, and there has to be arcs and ends to characters, or or movies then just become... Like like Mara was saying, they're all just a perpetual mid-season finale where you have the threat of danger, you have false jeopardy, but nothing ever really happens, you know? So there's got to be stakes to stuff that happens. And um, look, I would love to see more of Quicksilver. I thought he was great in the movie. Um, but, you know, part of me, for me, part of telling stories and part of watching movies is that sometimes the characters who die are the characters you 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 love the most because that's that's how they that's how they punch you if they, if they mm-hmm. kill somebody off that you don't care about they're like oh, i don't care that they're dead then that was there was no purpose to that at all you know it's just it's just a function uh doing this i think like you said he has maybe the best arc in the entire movie he goes from being a complete jerk to being someone who's willing to give himself up for you know for, for to save a child um and uh, i i like that arc you know and uh like I said, I would love to see him around still, but I love that he had that that arc throughout the movie. So for me, it was satisfying. Mm, okay. For me, it was satisfying. Uh, Mara, what, what did you think about it? Was was his death kind of a fu to Fox? No, I don't think like, so. We're gonna take our character. We're gonna kill him in our movie. <laughs> yeah. Fu would be to keep keep him around. Yeah, that's kind of, that's the vibe I got. But, yeah, we'll do a better um, job than you did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when when he when he died in the movie, my first thought was like. Oh shit! This whole chunk of rock is just going to be pulled apart by by Wanda. <laughs> like she's just going to like destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, I kind of felt like his death was necessary for her development. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit of fridging. Um, they fridged Quicksilver. Him. Yes, they fridged Quicksilver <laughs> for the sake of Scarlet Witch. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the movie, I kind of felt I don't know. Did you guys get like an incest vibe from them? <laughs> no. No. Okay. I <laughs> <laughs> Wow. They're just very close. Okay, so... You watch too much anime. <laughs> that must be it. That has to be the factor. Big brother. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not that affectionate with my brothers. Um, but, like, there were... Part of me is like, you know, they've had to rely on each other and only each other for so long. And they went. They both went through this traumatic ex- experience and trying to recover from it. And... You know, I felt that his death was necessary for her to move past that trauma and that reminder of, you know, th- this wrong done to me and to f- become a full-fledged Avenger. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I'm sitting here trying to picture if she would have that same arc with that connection to her brother still. Mm-hmm. If he was there and, you know, they, they both had like this other plan or something like that. But now with him gone, she can throw herself completely into... Um, the Avengers and into Vision. Yes. <laughs> but then that... Which they hint at at the, the end right. there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Without yes. having Pietro around to be the the voice of unreason or hatred, mm. mm-hmm. 
It's not. Uh, I don't know if it's as resonant. Well, there are plenty. There'll be plenty of voices of unreasoned. I know, but when it's not your family, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. You know. I'm curious. How did they hint at that? I, I must have missed. Well, it's that. not hinted, but she, when the vision saves her at the yeah. end, right? Yeah, yeah and yes. they make eye contact, and yeah. when he first comes out, she's kind of like <gasps> gasping, yeah. and it's just I don't know. Maybe Take I read too much into that. No, I saw the same thing. Yeah, I saw okay. the same thing. Yeah, Mara. yeah absolutely. I'm gonna ship everything in this movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we we've got. You know, we've got the we got the confirmation that the that it's the mind stone inside the scepter that was a yeah. big thing as well. That is the the, the jewel in Vision's head, um, which sets up some interesting things for the future, right? Like, is Thanos gonna have to like rip the the stone out of Vision? Does Vision have to Pull die him apart at some point, yeah. or is there gonna be something else? Like, what, are they gonna figure out some way to keep him alive? Who knows what's gonna happen? Um, so that's some interesting stuff, though. I yeah, think it still leaves the soul gem for Adam Warlock, which may or may not. Show up one of these we days. Got soul gem and the time gem. Yes, I think to left. go right. Yeah. So who knows when those things are going to pop up? But now initially, there was thought that the time gem was going to be here because of Wanda's visions. Oh, okay. We're actually putting the Avengers back in time. Oh, but okay. they're just visions. Yeah, they're just visions. I yeah. would like to talk about what are Wanda's powers exactly. I know we haven't ever stopped to explain anybody's powers here. Yeah. But it's yeah. all over the map. She's she initially had a hex power that mm. made bad things happen. Mm. But here it seems as if she has magnetic powers because she can sort of touch the ground and robots explode. Well, she was saying like tele- a wave through it. She's right. got like tele- telekinesis. telekinesis. It's right. telekinesis and, and, also, and, and also sort of some sort of mind control powers. Yeah, can get in people's sides, people's minds. Wouldn't it have been a really nice thing at this point with Doctor Strange on the horizon to do something that isn't as guardian magic? Mm-hmm. To give her some sort of real mysticism to sort of well, no, you lay know, the because you gotta because that's what Doctor Strange is gonna do. Doctor Strange is gonna lay that groundwork. He's gonna be the the magic introduction. It could be that in the future. I mean, I don't know that they would do this, but once that magic is introduced via Doctor Strange, that perhaps later on, if he happens to do something with the Avengers, that he then meets around. her okay. and comes back around. He explains to her that her powers derive from magic. Mm-hmm. That could work. Okay, mm-hmm. because we don't know how what the experiments were. Yeah. And if they all derived from the scepter, who knows what was going on in that thing? Exactly. Yeah. A- absolutely. There's definitely some mysticism there because it's not a. It's it's some sort of like mm-hmm. mystic, like you mm-hmm. know, gem. So who knows w- what that was all about? Um, yeah. I mean, there's what other things do we want to talk about here? Oh, can we talk about Linda Cardellini? We could talk about that. We could talk about what I think you may have a complaint about, which I do too, which is some of the CGI particularly early on, is kind of wonky. There's a there's a moment when things are all going haywire and the like Iron Man drones are destroying things. And in the scene in particular of when the when the drone grabs the scepter off of its base, that is what I'm talking about. When the technological prowess of the movie for just a split second um, kind of fell out for mm-hmm. just a second. You got to look for it. But when you see it, it's very glitchy, and the movement is not smooth. There's another scene with Ultron later on. Um, I'm I don't want to talk about it too much because it's such a it's such a little small stupid yeah. thing. See, but what do you what do you uh, guys in, in, in the whole far sequence early on? I thought some of particularly like Captain America. Oh, I know what you're Looked about. awfully like the first Spider-Man movie. Very weightless. <laughs> Very sort of video game, not exactly where I would have expected to see it. And as the movie went on, it was stellar. I uh, mean, you, you look at Ultron, and mm. which is basically not there. Uh, yeah, being I mean, completely realistic, and yet that opening sequence 
it took me out of it for a couple of minutes. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the movie, it is the most comic book movie of comic book movies. I mean, that, that slow down, almost like freeze frame sequence in the very beginning of awesome. all of them on Best. screen, yeah. you yeah. know, jumping into action, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's in those moments where because the action is so bombastic and so big and so comic booky that you kind of can't help but lose a little bit of your grip on reality because of the like the the coordination that it took for them to pull off the moves. They've obviously practiced this stuff mm-hmm. or developed them over time that because it is so succinct and they're they're throwing caps shield, which by the way, I absolutely positively loved that thing that was in his uh, glove. Yeah. That the mm-hmm. yeah they've never shown that before. Well, it, yes, they have, it's from the Winter Soldier. Is it? I've only seen when Winter they, Soldier when they once. put that handcuff on him that magnetized yeah. him to the thing. Okay. He uses it to like grab his shield up, and so Abed now he's purposed it. Okay. To be like a. And it's from Avengers number six, which where is Tony great. Stark put stuff in his shield, so which it'll, is great. Yeah. All right. Well, I I didn't remember yeah. that from Winter Soldier, yeah. but when I saw that in Age of Ultron, I was like, thank you, mm-hmm. because I've seen so. How does he do that? How yeah. does he throw it? How does he get it back? That's how he gets it back. Shut up. Let's <laughs> yeah. keep going. <laughs> um, I get angry. <laughs> uh, I mean, what do we want to talk about? You, you well, about the Hawkeye lot, stuff. Yeah, what do we the... think about the Hawkeye stuff? What do we think about the Natasha and Banner uh, relationship? Two separate things. Two separate things. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you're separate. asking for things to talk yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Both. So um, I'll say this right off the bat. Obviously, let's talk about obviously the movie. Obviously, Jeremy Renner is some sort of fucking asshole or something. Yeah. He's, yeah. An, idiot. He's yeah. an idiot. At least an idiot, if nothing else. Yeah. I saw somebody on Twitter that I follow was like, um, he feels like Jeremy Renner is the new Kevin Costner. He just he looks like your friend's like dickhead stepdad, but somehow he gets to be in movies. Which I thought was very funny. So obviously he's a douche. But we're not talking about Jeremy Renner. We're talking about the character of, of Hawkeye in, yeah. in the movie. Um, so uh, for me, the Hawkeye thing, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I think that um, it, there's a there's a very and I talk about this, Bob. There's a very thin yeah. line in movies like this where between the actually giving a character depth and appearing to give a character depth just because you think you need to. Um, and I think, actually, I think if Hawkeye had died at the end of the movie, I would have felt worse about, I would have not liked the Linda Cardellini, like, I have kids storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, because it would just been used as a cheap trick to get you to care whether mm-hmm. Hawkeye lived or died when he dies. Something really, oh my God, he left his family. I think that would have been, that would have been cheap. But the fact that they just give it to you and they give you a, dynamic of his character which is you know when i leave the avengers i'm a guy who goes home and you know i have people who count on me i have i'm just a dude you know who have to uh, paint the kitchen yeah, yeah you know and i but i have to go fight with these like like she calls them gods right yeah and, and i liked that idea of seeing a different perspective of of, of what his life was mm-hmm. um and so i i, I like that i think this is her also that i think he has like three or four of the best lines in the entire movie. Yeah. So I like him a lot more in this movie than I liked him in the past movie. So I'm more invested there. When when he uh, when he bypasses the mind control, yeah, he's like done that already. Yeah. Well, my yeah. favorite line in the entire movie is the "We're in a floating city fighting an army of robots, and I've got a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense." Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that was my favorite line in the movie. In that period, he, in the script, mm-hmm. he's becoming the Fraction Hawkeye. Yeah. There's the different snarky. Mm-hmm. Delivery to his dialogue and the dialogue itself is yeah. much different than it was leading up to that. I have a problem. We we talked that yeah. night. Those sequences in the farmhouse, all this stuff is it's kind of 
clunky to me in a way that there's too much of it in one lump that maybe broken up it would, it would play a little differently but it, it struck me as that let's give everyone some backstory mm-hmm. and it turns into not a domestic dramedy but it sort of goes somewhere different than i was expecting and maybe that's part of it too mm-hmm. but i it seemed so natural the first time around that it just happened as they were talking to each other, which was just brilliant. Mm. And this looks calculated more than organic mm. to me anyway. Okay. Hmm. All right. I loved it. All right. I'm going to ask you, Mark. <laughs> well, you, uh, you liked all the Hawkeye backstory? Yes. And I'll tell you why. Because um, there's this so. whole... <laughs> yeah. Of course I will. Uh, there's this whole idea that we don't really know much about Hawkeye's backstory, but we know that um, most of the team has some sort of crazy thing going on. Like they're they're above average. And even Natasha, we get a glimpse of her background that she's gone through something that most of us would never, ever dream of having to go through. And in the comics, you know, there's always this whole thing about Hawkeye being just an, an average guy. You know, he gets off from the Avengers and he's like, I'm just a dude. Um, and that's what we get from the Fraction Hawkeye series, that he's very street level, very human person dealing with human problems and things like that. And as soon as I saw the family in the farmhouse, I'm like, they're, they're pulling that element into Hawkeye showing, you know, the Avengers tower. It's, it's not his whole life. He's, you know, that's his job. And he tries to leave his work at home or work at work and then go home to his family and things like that. And I thought that was really needed for this movie. And also the whole farm scene to me felt like a like a reset like okay we just had this this major plot stuff we need to take a breather because we can't just keep going balls to the wall until the end of this movie we need to give people a little bit of of time to assess what's happened so far i mean the viewers time to assess and then get ready for the big thing coming up so i i mean i thought it was I don't know. I always, I always like kind of, you know, superheroes in everyday life, mm. you know, seeing stormtroopers out in public, that kind of stuff. <laughs> like, I love it. So I wanted, actually wanted like a whole farm, <laughs> <laughs> like extended scenes. I want, I want an hour of it. Um, I, I want, I want an hour of Chris Evans in a tiny shirt chopping wood. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all use a little of that, Mara. So I think that's, oh, that's so. totally fine. <laughs> <sighs> Gotta fan myself a little bit. Thor in the scrying pool. <laughs> yeah, what was that all about? That's the one storyline that, like, I mean, we've heard since then, obviously, that there was, like, Joss Whedon didn't want in the movie at all, yeah. which, I mean, mm-hmm. again, like I said before, it doesn't really matter, but that's the one sequence that's very, like, this is all about other movies. I had no idea what was going on then. Well, it's all about setting up Ragnarok yeah. um, and setting up Infinity Gauntlet, yeah. Infinity War, because you see the gauntlet form in yeah. his vision. Um, there's apparently a whole ton of other stuff to that subplot that just got kind of cut. From the, from the movie, um, it's the one plot that I feel like doesn't belong in, in, in the movie. But they haven't no, none do, known to do it with, with Thor in either of these Avengers movies. Mm-hmm. It's been he, it, which is funny since the first one's about Loki. But he just he seems like the the also ran of, of the main characters yeah. there to be cool and to say funny stuff, but not to really be a, a central. Thor plot. was like, the handling of Thor in this movie. I thought was a little strange in that he was when he was around. I mean, he had some really good lines too when him and. Um, he was talking about like the difference between Pepper and Jane. Yeah. And he's like, but Jane's better. Yeah. You know, like that was great. Yeah. But he like, he came in and he quipped and he bumped fists and then he left and he left like twice in the movie to go and do stuff. Like he was just like 
rainbowing up into the sky. He left once during the movie to go do something. I thought it was twice. Well, he tried to leave the first time. Yes, but he we're died. gonna have a party. Yeah. Go oh, okay. Revels. 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 Uh, so, um, Mara, what did you think of the uh, Banner uh, Widow stuff? Okay. Um, just want to say first off, I'm always gonna ship Natasha and Bucky. <laughs> always gonna ship it. But I. I actually really kind of enjoyed that plot line, and I know a lot of people didn't like it. Um, but I think part of it is, one, I'm used to reading comics in that sometimes you just come and characters have been doing stuff off panel. Like, you don't know. You're just jumping in sometimes. So starting this movie and kind of with the assumption that we haven't seen a lot of their relationship build, but we're coming in at a time where things are starting to accelerate for the two of them. And you get that, I mean, to me, I got the vibe from it pretty early on. Um, and thinking back to the first Avengers movie where she was almost afraid of him at times. And just kind of seeing that character growth come on pretty early for her, I thought was wonderful. Um, a lot of people on the internet are upset that there was a love interest there. Um, but to me, it even though it came across a little clunky, I thought that it it did seem organic within the context of the team. Like, if there was one person I thought she would fall in love with, it would probably be Bruce. Mm. Um, just because, you know, she had that little monologue in the, the party sequence about um, looking for something different and having um, a man who tries to restrain himself and tries not to be this big hero and... Um, a little bit meek, and I think that, you know, the whole yin-yang thing, someone to balance you out is very important in this in this storyline for the two of them. Mm-hmm. So, those are my thoughts. I, I do like, too, about um, the storyline for me, like, like you said, the clunkiness of it is the thing I think that, that uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't like, take to. It wasn't anything really about the act, the performances or the idea of it, because I liked those things. I think the just the execution of it I, I didn't love. But what I do like is at the end, near the end of the movie, um, she, you have this moment where, you know, you think she's choosing to, like, go off with Banner, and, and but she chooses the mission, you know, over, you know, them being together at that moment. Need the other yes. guy. And, and I, lo- I liked that a lot, because that that's felt very true to her character to me. You know, mm-hmm. she she's not going to leave the fight in the middle of the fight. You know, she they, they need to solve this and need to win and to win we need we need the other guy so i liked that resolution to 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 all of that see i would take that moment to somewhere else Mm. that if you had played the whole thing as okay she's manipulating him into i need the other guy and it's all a setup i'd have felt better about it because even though we, we talked that night she's the person who brings him back from calcutta maybe she feels badly i feel a bit oddly that they need to keep pairing her off as a character where they don't do that to the male characters within the movie it's she's with hawkeye or at least it seems like she's with hawkeye in the first movie i never get that sense that she's with hawkeye i didn't get that either yeah i got Mm -hmm. the sense that they're they're close friends and that they have a bond right in uh winter soldier she's wearing an arrow necklace and she's sort of kind of playing around with Steve a little bit. She's at least I, flirting with Steve. Yes, but I don't know. And, I never get I'm, any romantic sense between her and Steve either. I, I, I see it as we take the, the one female character in the movie and try to keep 
making it a romantic interest for someone. So that, I'm a little iffy with well, that. Well, there's something that I, very interesting that I don't know if you saw this tweet that Mark Ruffalo said because someone said it to him and he goes, oh, I, I, I read it as um, I was her love interest. That's what, you know, because everyone's saying it the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and because and, they said, like, Joss Whedon turned her into a love interest that needed saving. And he said, I read it as t- I t- he turned me into a love interest that needed saving. So. Okay. I, th- there are people saying she's a damsel in distress because she's captured. Yeah. She well, sends about the why signal that gets them yeah. to her. Go yeah. ahead, Mark. Sorry, Mark. Go ahead. I was saying she was, she was captured because she was doing her mission. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And. I mean, sure, she probably could have gotten out anytime she wanted. I mean, she she, she essentially yeah. saves the day. Yes. Because she tells the Avengers where Ultron is. Mm-hmm. And why would she leave? I mean, if Ultron's right there, <laughs> and she's calling the Avengers to come there. Yeah. It's like, why would she leave and yeah. let him know that they're on their way? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I don't know. See, what do you think about uh, that stuff? I think it's interesting that... Um, and I mean, people can say, like, we've seen relationships in other movies that all of a sudden people are having a problem with this relationship. Meanwhile, there right, have what been... What did you think of it, though? Uh, what did you think? Uh, I don't care what other was, people thought of it. No, but I, don't I was care getting... about the meta discussion about it. What do you think about it? I thought it was, I thought it was okay. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't say that I saw it coming uh, from, you know, past experiences with those two characters interacting with one another. I mean, I can see the seeds of it in retrospect from the first Avengers movie when she's kind of calling him and the whole uh, concept of her being able to execute this lullaby that kind of brings him down. Um, I thought it was a little awkward to be thrown into it the way that we were, that it was kind of, you know, usually you see the makings of that, of that kind of thing, um, especially when you're taking such huge characters, but there was, you know, there's, the scene that that there's been a ridiculous amount of controversy about um, where like Banner's coming out of the shower and she's like, I would have gotten in there with you. And I'm like, whoa, like I have no idea where, like where it happened where you guys would have gotten to the point where you would jump into the shower with him. Like when the hell did that happen? Um, But I mean, in terms of them being a couple, I thought it. I thought it was some pretty, pretty compelling stuff, um, particularly towards the end. And that that sequence of uh, people have been speculating. You know, the Hulk at the end is still the Hulk. There, Bob can correct me if I'm wrong, or anybody can. Isn't there a point in Hulk's history where he can't transform back into Banner? Yes, he's stuck as the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Could it be that he raged out so hard at the end of that movie that he's unable to come back to being Banner at that time? And that's why he chooses to stay on the ship and possibly go off and maybe do some Planet Hulk stuff. Mm. It's possible. I, I, I think there's interesting. T- I think what's interesting about that idea is that I think Banner at a certain point realizes that Banner is just as much of a danger as the Hulk is mm-hmm. for different reasons. Because Banner knows he should leave, but he can't leave. He knows he shouldn't try to recreate artificial intelligence again, but he does right. it anyway. So I think Banner stays the Hulk because the Hulk will leave. Right. And but Banner won't. Right. Mm. I just, I mean, for me, I, um, and this might sound a little bit cheesy, but I think, you know, the idea of seeing the relationship and these characters being together and some people having a problem with it, sometimes being with another person makes that person better. And if you can be a better hero, being in love with another hero 
it could lead to great things. Mm. That's all. Mm-hmm. I was, that's the meta ness of what I was going to yeah. say before. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a good point to make without all the yeah. meta ness. That I think it means more just you saying that. You know, um, and, and I agree. You know, I think it's obviously it's 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 open to debate and, and people. Uh, I I think one of the things. Um, that I think people forget about um, when discussing this stuff is that disagreeing about things, that's what adult, being an adult means. Like, you don't always agree. It's just about being able to talk about the things you don't yeah. agree about. And it's not a one or a zero. It's not a binary situation, you know? I, I totally can see the, the perspective of a relationship bringing down a character, um, but I can also see as a person in a, in a, in a relationship as it being something positive for a character, you know? Um, and... I, I think it's all about the intent and all about the, the, the execution of it. And I, I think sometimes those things are done poorly. I think when characters are subjugated to just the love interest, I think it's, it's, a, it's a bad idea because it makes the character not a full-fledged character. It makes them a, a, a facet. It doesn't make them a character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that's done to, to Black Widow here. Um, the amount of times I've called her Scarlet Witch is ridiculous because it confuses <laughs> me so much that her <laughs> real name is Scarlet Johansson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to talk too much about. It. I think we've talked we've talked for over an hour about about the movie, so which is about half the length of the movie. So. Can we do, can we do favorite moments? Yes, real quick? absolutely. Let's, I was gonna say let's do favorite moments. All right, real quick. Um, at the very beginning, when Tony is searching the lab and he's feeling around and he's like, "Secret door, secret door, secret door!" Yeah. Yay! Yeah. I oh, it's so good. And of course, the the huge moment of when we first meet the Vision. And they're like, you know, how do we know that we can trust him? Mm-hmm. And he just hands Thor the hammer, yeah. very casual, like, yeah. "Come on, brother, like, let's go." And they think that I think that was a really genius move, both in the movie, but also in terms of the audience. Like, here's this brand new character born from the villain of all things, and you're going to have your suspicions, especially if you're not into like the Marvel history or Marvel lore or anything like that. That in that one gesture and in that one moment, now the audience knows, everybody in that audience gasping and laughing at that moment because it's a callback to a great mm-hmm. scene earlier. But now everybody in that audience knows that he's legit mm-hmm. and that he can be trusted and that he's a part of the team just by doing that one thing. Yeah. And I thought that was very cool. Yeah. Um, hated that moment. You hated it? Hated that. Why? For a lot of reasons. Oh, man. For a lot of reasons. Do you want them now? I here do. We go. I okay, do. here we go. Shit on my think, parade. Go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. It, it's, <laughs> okay. it, we can disagree. It's the same idea. I think as a piece of screen craft, uh-huh. it's poor. Okay. We have teased that Steve can move this hammer. But, but, I, 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 Bob, I, that is coming from your comic book No, love. no, 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 no. You, you didn't let me finish, did okay. you? Okay. I'm talking about screen craft. <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. The, the other part I'll get to. Believe me, I'll get to it. <laughs> the screen craft of it is you've teased a moment with Steve that he can move the hammer and then don't pay it off, which is weird in its own sort of way. And it, you then can't use that moment, which does happen in comic book history, down the road. It's gone because now it means nothing. I understand why he uses this with the vision. It gives gravitas to a character who has none otherwise. Now, how this works with a newborn who has no worthiness or unworthiness, created from the sole mind gem of an alien artificial intelligence. And Jarvis, if it's based on his brain patterns we've seen, he's not exactly the most upstanding person ever if we look at Agent Carter. So there's, there's that. As a bit of comic book history, it's crap. Because not counting Thor stand-ins, 
Beta Ray Bill, Thunderstrike, the new Thor, Storm as the goddess of thunder. In serious comic books, there are three characters who picked up and used Thor's hammer. Superman, Wonder Woman, and Captain America. Not the Vision. Superman? So that's, yeah, in Justice League Avengers, yes. He's, he's, handed, <laughs> he's handed the hammer by Thor. He wields Thor's hammer and Captain America's shield at the same time. So, again, for me, as a piece of screen craft, I think it doesn't pay off a moment that's teased for the sake of giving something else to a new character, and it's comic book history, it's awful. So I didn't care much for that moment whatsoever. My favorite moment is, honestly, uh, there are a lot throughout the movie itself. There are a lot of little bits and pieces. It's the idea of we're getting bigger. There's the Avengers headquarters. It's Steve training this underpowered group that includes Sam mm-hmm. and the Falcons there. We, we, we now have the Scarlet Witch. We've got the vision. We're moving forward to a different sort of team, a different sort of vibe that moving down the road to other movies. I think one of these Infinity movies will have the under team mm-hmm. and the big squad mm-hmm. coming together. And I think that so ties into everything the Avengers has been through their history of this changing lineup as something different. I really enjoyed that idea. Um, I love <laughs> I loved the look on Sam's face in that last moment. <laughs> yeah. He just looks so excited to yeah, be there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like when he lands, I was like, that's really cool. Um I love that party scene at the beginning. I love it felt very much like a comic book like let's write <laughs> yeah. the issue where they just hang out and drink and talk to each yeah. other. I loved Rhodey's bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a war machine story. <laughs> it always works. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was like, "Man, I hate you guys." Right, like right, when right. he's when he's actually in the fight and he's like, "This is going to be the new story." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought he was great. Don Cheadle yeah. is just a great actor and he can bring so much personality yeah. so quickly to anything. Yeah. Um you know, I love the I I I, I disagree with you about the screencraft part of it. I love the vision thing because it gives you it tells the audience and it tells the people they, they needed a solution to why is Vision going to be trusted? And they gave you one right away. But I love at the end where he's like, he's like, put the hammer in an elevator. Elevator goes up. Elevator's not worthy. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea because it's a machine. That doesn't matter. But because I, I think that that shot later on in the movie where he actually wields the hammer and hits Ultron with it, just the way it's shot is so mm-hmm. majestic and, and powerful. Um, I loved that the I uh, I loved the the birth of the vision. I thought all that stuff w- w- was great. Um, I mentioned the Hawkeye scene, which, yeah. which I think is just is just really awesome. And that slow motion like fight sequence Stendous. near the end. I read someone said Joss Whedon somehow figured out how to get a, a double page splash page yes. into a movie because that's what it is. You know, it's yeah. almost that like complete stillness and and, and that just like action frozen moments which I, I absolutely loved um yeah i mean I, I, I those moments were just breathtaking to me i want that statue uh, during the I credits the end. I, yeah, oh yeah. man need it that thing's core and i want it just like that i want it painted i wanted <laughs> that that like clear peach color that it was um mara what was a couple of your favorite moments uh party sequence um n- Mostly the part where Tony and Thor were arguing over whose girlfriend was better. Because <laughs> both girls are great. Mm-hmm. Um, the the scene where they're trying to lift the hammer. Mm-hmm. But we had seen that before in the trailers. Yeah, still you know, funny. Over and over again. So <laughs> it's still great. still yeah. awesome. Um, Chris Evans splitting logs. 
<laughs> one with his hands. Yeah, that was great. Oh my gosh. Don't touch my pile. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that moment in at the very end where, you know, they're introducing the new team and Scarlet Witch kind of like is floating down and she looks a little unsteady, but she's still like smiling. And I love that part. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I'm so like, she's so happy to be here. Like, she's got purpose now, mm-hmm. and she can fly. You know the sense I got, I, which I didn't think about until it happened? When we see Iron Man slash Tony on screen in the Avengers Age of Ultron, I realized it had been like three years since we had seen, we had, like, maybe two, I guess two, no, three years. Yeah. Three years since we'd seen him in a movie as that character. And it was like really cool to see him again. I because we again so used to it was like Iron Man, Iron Man Two, Avengers. It was just like boom, 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 boom. Came out so quickly, and then it's like a couple of years until you see him again. I was like, and the Iron Man Three was right after Avengers. Yeah. So you saw mm-hmm. him so many times in such a short period of time, and then to get him in this movie, I was like, wow. I was like, I remember I freaking love Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Yep. He's amazing. <laughs> so that was great. Uh, I wish we had more Maria Hill though. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um. I, I, you know, I, I, I wish it's so tough because there's such these movies cost so much money and they're so crazy budgeted and, and so it takes long to make. I would love to see like that kind of like Shield type of movie with those characters kind of focused uh, on. Would it have been interesting to have as the helicarrier shows up yeah. the Agents of Shield? Yeah, uh, Phil I mean, Coulson and that team as yes. part of that. I will say that's the moment I, mean, I didn't talk about. That's the moment yeah. I hate. I hate uh, that moment when the helicarrier shows up. Yep, makes no sense. That's poor screencraft right there. Uh, they're like, oh, we just we ha- found it with the mothballs. We got it. Are like, you guys it's, it's, watching Shield? Yes, it's in. Yes, okay. but that's not an excuse, right? Okay, yeah. you can't tell somebody go watch a television show to find out what happens in this movie. Okay, because I haven't. I'm like maybe seven episodes behind. Oh, yeah, it hasn't. It hasn't. I'm like I mean, a season and a half behind. The show is great, and I'm. I'm I'll be happy to watch those scenes happen yeah. in the show. But mm-hmm. the fact that that just shows up when we we all we know they're all destroyed. Um, bothered me. That was the biggest one that bothered me. Well, I mean, Nick Fury did say he's going to go off to do something dramatic. I know, but the audience yeah. needs to have the chance to know what that is. It can't, and, and they don't for it to be <laughs> good screenwriting. <laughs> so that's the issue. Um, Actually, speaking of negatives, can we throw one thing around before we go? Uh, sure. And were there enough consequences <laughs> for Tony Stark, considering nope. what it is that he? Okay, thank you, Mar. <laughs> for for what has gone wrong here. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, here's the thing for me. It's like, yeah, again, again, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. We can only talk about this movie. And, you know, for me, uh, yeah, Tony does something really shitty, but Tony doesn't do it to be shitty, right? Tony does it to try to create something does good. Does it out of arrogance? Yeah, but everything time. Tony does is out of well, arrogance. That's true. <laughs> You can't. It's like you can't goose with the gander. Like he, yeah. he, he's an arrogant dude. That's what makes him awesome. It also makes him, you know, a, a pain. But he doesn't create Ultron with some megalomaniacal plot. He wants to save the world, and in, in doing so, he creates something horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you look to the comics, you're not saying like Hank Pym should be in jail forever because he created Ultron. It's the same sort of deal here. You know, it's like uh, yeah, he did something bad, and he's not very apologetic for it either. But he tries to make up for it in, in his way. And, and well, he so, tries to do it again. But right. the second time he does it, he does it right. Right. Yeah. But, okay. And Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. Natasha ends up testifying in front of Congress. Yeah. I know. Over what she did. And Tony <laughs> starts a new Avengers headquarters and drives off in his whatever what a, Bentley he has yeah. there, whatever. What and, about Bruce Banner and the Hulk getting to leave after the Hulkbuster scene? Like, you know, sorry, guys. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. You know. <laughs> 
<laughs> my my bad. Oops. And just you know, yeah. they get to take him and leave. Like they say something on the radio about like they don't know whether they're going to press charges or not. But like the fallout, like we don't, mm. you know, there's no, nothing this, that follows up from that. Well, this could tie into civil war, but I'd like to have seen more threads of that laid down here, mm. perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I just think like it, it's the thing. Obviously, like uh, if there was more time for it. And in a, in a smaller movie, like a movie that has more, like less going on in it, you mm-hmm. could you can deal with that stuff. But to me, Tony doesn't do it on purpose, you know. And, and, and so for me, I, I don't really have a huge problem with there not being a ton of consequences for him yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future yeah. again? And you shouldn't only deal with this movie. We're only dealing with this movie, so I don't want to give it a pass for that. But it's one of those things that, like like you said, like I said before, is it a, a fault? Probably. Does it bother me? No, so I don't, okay. I don't, I don't, because it so it doesn't get to me. You know what I mean? Um, Pepper but, will probably kick his ass when he gets home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Twelve yeah. percent uh, of a moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when I, yeah. I'll say that, that my final thoughts about this are that I really liked this movie a lot. But when I look back at Phase Two, I realize after I watched the first Avengers, I was like, oh man. I cannot believe I have to wait another three years for another one of these. All I want are these movies with all of them together. And then after Phase Two, after this movie, now I realize. I love these movies, but I love the solo movies just as uh, much, if not yeah. more. And so it really kind of aligns with like the way I like what I like about comic books, right? Which is that the event stuff, like I I, I can love it, but I prefer the 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 singular pieces more. That's yeah, very interesting. And so like yeah. for me, Winter Soldier and Guardians are the two best, and this is probably is below those, but maybe below the first Avengers movie. Um, and so I'm really excited for the, the next couple of years of seeing these other these new movies with the, with these people in them. Mm-hmm. But that's gonna wrap up our, our, our Avengers: Age of Ultron talk. Um, you guys can get let us know what you thought at Talking Comics on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash Talking Comics, um, and TalkingComicBooks.com is the website where you can find all the reviews and uh, columns and our bevy of podcasts. The Misfits with Mara Wood. Stephanie Cook yeah. and Melissa Megan, we just talked about what? The Star Wars Expanded Universe, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. So check that out. What's coming next? Um, we are actually restructuring a little bit um, because Mara can't do big episodes each week. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're doing is one big topic a month. And I'm not sure what our next big topic is. Um, rumor has it it might be Pixar. Hmm. Um, and then two episodes of like recommendations just talking about uh, things that we've been reading, watching, doing, and then book club episode. Huh? So it's a little bit different, um, and hopefully it will allow for deeper discussions on those bigger episodes. Still sounds still sounds great. Yes. Um, we also have Talking Movies with uh, Brian Verderosa, Chris Oliphant, and Nick Scalia. Uh, this week, actually, they did a little change-up, and uh, all of their girlfriends slash wives hosted the shows and and they weren't on it so they have a discussion that's up there um we've got talking games uh steve doesn't know what's going on because steve isn't on the show this week (laughs) no he's tweeting to see what they're doing while we're doing this but it's uh steve say justin townsend rob newmeyer and jackie turner look for that every thursday i'm sure they're talking about video games probably and food i'm gonna guess yes and talk about food a lot food and video games um talking valley with adam shaw uh they've got an anniversary coming up so they're doing some big shows and some interviews um we also have our special edition feed, which has backup stories with Justin and Rob and Comics and Coffee with myself and Nikki. Um, the last week I went solo. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> it was all right. It was totally my fault. I just totally <laughs> forgot about the show. And then Friday morning I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's Friday. <laughs> which happens sometimes. <laughs> um, so I went along. But it was cool. It was cool. Um, 
If you want to get in touch with us personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve. Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Mara, your Twitter handle. At Mega Marama. I love the way you say yes. that. I don't think we did that last week. So no, I, I don't had, think so. I didn't get to hear that last week, which is, is, is very awesome. Um, Bob, your email address. Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. All right. So that's going to do it for the Talking Comics Podcast. Yeah. For this week. For Steve. Ciao. Bob. Good night. And Mara. Adios. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. All right, we promised you some Batman talk. Mara has stepped away, and Steve, who also read the book, has stepped away. He had to go. Uh, so uh, I have Bob here, who hasn't yeah, read the book. Yeah, you're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. Uh, but he's going to ask me some questions, help my, my spiel along about Batman yeah. 40. So Batman Endgame, if you haven't been reading it, it's been building up to this moment where the Joker is back, and he's different this time. He wants to... He seemingly is out to actually kill batman at this point he, he the game is over for him after what happened in death of the family where batman kind of spurned him in his eyes he now is coming back and he it's his end game he, he wants it he wants it to be over and th- there's this recurring idea that the the either the joker is playing in people's minds or is true that he's not some you know guy in a red you know hooded a red hood mask who fell into a vat of stuff he is some ancient evil. He's the pale man who has existed for eternity, and and he's been haunting Gotham since its mm. since its inception. And this idea started permeating. He, there's pictures of him, like that people have found pictures with him, his face that are like hundreds of years old. And and Batman goes to the Court of Owls, and he and he asks, you know, one of the heads of the Court of Owls, like, was this person around when you were fighting? And you know, he's you know one of the resurrected yeah. characters, and he said, yeah, he was he was around. Mm. So you get the sense. And while you're building up, and you're not sure, like he first of all, he knows who Bruce. He knows Batman's Bruce Wayne. He knows that. He 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 knows all about who all Batman's minions are. He's you know he he knows everything. He's he has to know. He's taken out the city. He's backed Batman into a corner, and he's backed basically the whole city into a corner. And you just don't know what's going to happen. And and you, the whole time you're you're thinking to yourself is first of all, like I kept thinking to myself, okay, is this true? Is he really this like? eternal being and b would i like that you know what would i would i would i would i like that as a story um and also how's this end game gonna end because you know there's been plenty of times where you think batman's gonna die and he doesn't die or he dies and he comes back and who knows what's gonna happen right so i i got to the end game it was a month it was a month delayed there there was leaks all over the place and so i didn't know the ending but i knew I kind of knew the ending because I knew something was coming. I knew the aftermath because I'd heard some s- s- website had put in their headline that, oh, you know, th- th- this thing. So, you can't avoid those, so yeah, you're stuck. Yeah. So, but, like, so, you know, we said this at the beginning. If you're listening now, this is all spoilers for Endgame. Yeah, so you're go gonna, away now. You're yeah. definitely spoiler haven't read it yet. If somehow you've listened past the music <laughs> and you're here. Uh, so I came into it and I, and I read it and it's oversized issue. And, uh, you know, skipping right to the, the meat of it is the fact that you find out, no, he's not this eternal being. He's just been messing with them. But 
the reason why his face is healed and he managed to be okay is that when Batman dropped him down that cliff at the end of Death of the Family, when he was below there kind of crawling for his life, he found what is essentially a Lazarus pit under Gotham uh, City. See, I had heard rumors of this. Yeah. So that's really where we're at. Okay. Yeah. So he gets into the Lazarus pit and he uses like the Lazarus stuff um, and whatever in his, whatever, actually, he uses whatever's in his spine after the Lazarus stuff to create this new form of Joker venom that Batman can't figure out a cure to and he can't find an immunity to. Which has gone through all the sidebar issues as we've read. Okay. Yes, exactly. So that's all, that's all happened. Um, and, uh, Batman figures this out because he says when he talked to the, he said the court of owls is horrible at lying. And when they told me that he was working with them, they were obviously lying to me. So he, he knows that they're, and so he's, he's arranged a plot. And what the, what the beautiful thing about this issue is, is that in most of Scott Snyder's Batman stuff, he spends a lot of the issues with Batman getting beaten down and one or two issues of Batman really, you know, showing what he has mm-hmm. and, and being the Batman. So at the end of issue 39, uh, Batman has rounded up, the rogues gallery of Gotham city to basically be like, you need to come help me because you don't want the world. You don't want the city to be destroyed. So he's got like, you know, killer croc and, um, Bane and, and poison Ivy and, and, you know, Harvey Dent and these people helping him try to get to the Joker. The Joker's doing this big parade, you know, very kind of like 89 Batman yeah. kind of thing. And he's kind of waiting for Batman. And the point is Batman has the, the plan is that Batman has to get the, the, the some spinal fluid out of him so he can make this thing. So Batman confronts him and Joker, you know, has another another plan up his sleeve and uh, you know, he causes kind of all the masks that the Batman has made for their his people to crack and break and they're all down and you know he he's gonna about to kill you know Batman and he goes, you know, but I want you to see you I see what you realize Bruce and he grab he takes off the mask and it's Dick. Oh. And so the Joker realizes he's been had and we cut down to Batman in the in the depths of Gotham looking for the Lazarus yeah. pit because he knows that's where he has to go to get the, the cure for this stuff. And what we get at the end is this big fight scene, right, between Joker and Batman. And um, it's just, I mean, it is brutal, knockdown, drag out, you know, Joker is stabbing Batman. He stabs Batman twice in the back with two knives. He's throwing these playing cards and he burns his face. Like Batman is beat up. And, you know, uh, Batman throws these batarangs at him. And uh, he also, Joker gets burned as well. And part of what's going on in this story is that Joker's been healing very quickly. And it's because he's had the Lazarus stuff in his veins and he's able to heal from it. But it's, but Batman, you know, but Batman says, um, you know, I put this this uh, basically like an inhibitor on these batarangs, and if you are this this internal being, you said so, they won't affect you at all. But if you just are dealing with this weaker Lazarus pit, then they're going to stop you from healing. And Way to go, Batman! <laughs> See, the detective wins out in the end. Yeah, and and Joker kind of he doesn't show his hand. He kind of goes he goes with it. Um, but during their fight, um. A, this giant like this th- th- there's joker has rigged the entire cavern with bombs to blow up so no one can get to this pit to form this cure mm-hmm. so he set he set up the bombs and th- it's starting to collapse on him and joker gets hit with this rock right in the back and it basically seems like his back is broken and he's they're very close to the pit and um batman basically lays on top of him because batman can't really move at all either yeah. he's laying on top of him and and in this in, in this moment where it's like <clears throat> it's not enough almost that um, Batman has at least t- stopped the Joker from this plan, but he 
he kind of he goes to a place where he's acting but he goes as crazy as the joker and he says i was wrong to doubt you you are the pale man you've existed forever you know um in, uh you know will you forgive me will you forgive me all of this stuff and it's so interesting because what happens is because batman gets so crazy the joker all of a sudden doesn't see he doesn't seem so crazy anymore because he's not the inverse anymore and he doesn't know how to behave and so there's these moments where Batman's laying on top of the Joker, not letting him move, and the Joker's trying to reach out to try to get to the pit to heal himself. And he's and the Joker is saying, Please, please let me go. Please get off of me. And it's these intensely human moments from this character that has been is so insane all of the time that it gives this kind of clarity to him where he's the exact opposite of this character he pretended to be where this eternal being that's just pure evil. He's just a person who's pretty nuts, you know, and I loved that they brought that back to that moment because I read that quote much earlier. But Joker works to me because he's the inverse of Batman, right? Batman is so amazing because he's a normal person who dedicated his life to making things better. And he gets to do these amazing things because he just has the sheer will to do them. And Joker is the opposite. Joker is just a, I guess just a guy who's so crazy and so rotten to his core but has all of that will the same as mm-hmm. Batman does. That he's able to do these extraordinary things in the evil side of things because because of that. And I think making him eternal would have cheapened that in, in a lot Absolutely. of ways. But we, we end with this moment where um, Batman has a chance. There's, he is, he's spooned up a little bit of the Lazarus pit into this bubble that um, uh, Penny 2, who's Alfred Pennyworth's daughter, is, is, is trying to, is, is on the other line of, she's trying to pull it up. And, you know, she says, you know, take some of the, the, take some of the substance heal yourself and he goes no he goes if i open that up i might i might compromise the integrity and then you can't heal all the people in the city so you have to take it up and he says this line he goes i'm just gonna lay here with my friend for a little while wow and they and she pulls it up and the cave collapses and supposedly right. batman's dead so in the in the free comic book day issue diversions uh, it starts with this moment where all of these people are kind of holding flashlights up and they all have like makeshift bad moment. signals in it. And it's this beautiful moment, right? Where you're seeing all this stuff and there's a oh, voiceover about, you know, what Batman means and who he is. And, and, you know, one of Bruce's rivals is saying, you know, I, 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 I cheapened uh, and denigrated what Batman meant, but I won't do that anymore. But the city needs a Batman and, you know, we need someone to take that mantle, uh, you know, you, you, you're, and he, she's talking to somebody and you don't know who it is. You know, you're the perfect person for it. You have military training. You know, you're, you're a good, you're a good person. People trust you. Uh, you should do this. And this person's saying it's a horrible idea. And when it reveals it, it's James Gordon going into this big mechanical Batman suit. And the last thing he says, is like, I just want to run the record. This is a terrible idea. Right. And then he goes out to be Batman. And to me, again, it's one of those things where something I never would have thought of, but, Unless it's going to be someone who's obvious, right? Unless it's going to be one of the Bat family, who better to take up that mantle yeah. than James Gordon? The most logical, yet the one you wouldn't think about. Yeah. Because who would want to do that? Who would take that same role to protect the city? Yes. But the guy who's just spent his entire career doing it. It's interesting in that I, I think the changeover between... It was, I guess it's that scene on the dam. I don't know what issue of Batman yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Death of the Family. I don't remember exactly yeah, what issue it was. Yeah, where th- they're debating their various roles as mm-hmm. court jester and king of the castle yeah. kind of deal turns itself over into this scene in the cave in a way. Yes, where Bruce allows 
the mm-hmm. other side, and it's sort of the, it's a carpenter's level mm-hmm. where, where it begins to tilt yes. to one side or the other, and there it goes the other way, and you can then see the two sides, and yeah. how close they are related to each other. And it's this thing about you know, Joker really is the inverse of Batman, yeah. and so when the inverse, like you said, tilts the wrong way, right. what does the Joker have left? What is he? That's the real way to defeat him is to take away Batman. Um, you know, it's interesting stuff because it all leads up to this idea that at the end of the story, Alfred's reading a note from Bruce, and it just says "ha." That's all it says, and um, that's part of that speech is what I read before when he talks about that's what makes Batman immortal. Because she asked, but he's like, you know, we have all this armor, we have this. Why didn't he ever take that stuff into battle? It's almost like he's daring himself to die. Um, and Alfred says, "No, that's what makes Batman special. Is that he's just like us. He's in it with us." And he's telling you, no matter if you're normal or not, you don't have to be this god. You you yeah. you can be a hero. And I and I love that idea. And the other thing too, there's this cool imagery because earlier in the Endgame run, there's a point where at this theater and they're talking about you know de- the Deus Ex Machina, the thing uh, like, you know at the end of a story, end of a, a play, the hero will always be wearing armor underneath his shirt yes. or something like that, and that will show he'll he'll come alive. And the the, the end of the issue is it's the it's the dumpster of the theater and someone throwing it's like the garden throwing out the armor into the trash so you can take it either one of two ways it's either saying like there's something that you're missing that batman has a plan or mm-hmm. we're throwing it out the window we, you don't get yeah, that going here somewhere else. we're going don't somewhere else yeah. um and who knows i mean batman's gonna be back obviously and scott snyder said as much he's like there's a movie yeah. coming out in a year there's gonna be a batman yeah. but um you know, I think we've seen like some of these stories, like the death of Captain America, stuff with Brew Baker. Sometimes, the best stories you can tell after you've told a lot of stories with a character is to tell the absence of that character because that really shows what that character right. means. Whether it's Superior Spider-Man, mm, exactly, yeah, or something like this. We saw the death of Superman where they had to bring back yeah. the character, but it's that absence that makes the heart grow fonder. Yes, in essence, the, the values are pointed out sometimes by the character who takes his place, who isn't. Yeah, when it was Azrael. Yeah was violent and mm. hideous and no that's not who batman is yeah. but to some to some way of thinking now might be the best time to have a replacement batman there's mm. a lot of debate about where we're going with this character moving forward mm. and so on and so forth so to have someone else in this case someone very well intentioned mm-hmm. if reluctant yes what it what how does he react mm. in a way that as a police officer would be much different than someone from the outside i think it's a very fascinating way to look at this character again yeah and again it's all about trust right yes. scott snyder has written 40 issues of batman not one of which i don't i, I don't think is anything less than very good yeah. if not almost all great um he he knows the character he's written 40 issues perfectly of that character yeah. Giving him the chance to go outside that zone a little bit, do something a little different, I think is perfect for him. And I can't wait to see, because he seems like he's like he's like the stuff we're writing now is the weirdest stuff we've ever written. So <laughs> I, I can't wait to see what that means and eventually how he brings him back, because that can be just as satisfying. Absolutely. Um, and also, I'm interested to see what this means for like the larger stuff, because there's still a Batman Superman book after all this is over. So Gordon and Clark are going to be teaming up in a book. Like, how do those characters react to each other? This happens between the pages of they'll never do that. So this is going to yeah. have to be a real team up somewhere. Yeah. Is Jim Gordon going to be a member of the Justice League now? Like, who knows? Like, what does that mean? So I'm very intrigued to see what all that stuff yeah. means. But again, I mean, I think that it took a chance. I think that uh, it did great stuff. It was highly entertaining. And um, I, I just... It's weird. It's weird to me that somehow he keeps 
upping himself when I didn't think that was really possible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's Batman 40. I just think it was a great, great issue. Now, this is an event in and of itself. How mm-hmm. long was Endgame? Six issues. Six issues, okay. That is tying in Death of the Family, Court of Owls. Yeah, it's all, every, sort of everything. Like this whole run yes. has been encapsulated in these six issues. Yeah, it felt very much like the end of something i think in, i think originally he was gonna end with 40 at some uh, point but he decided to stay on and now it's kind of like you know like i, I my theory is 52 issues that's when he'll that's when he'll stop that, that works yeah that he'll bring bruce works. back he'll put all the toys back in the toy box and then he'll say hand him off to james tinian tying in yeah whatever whatever his name is <laughs> whoever it might be but yeah i'm excited to see what comes but that's our talk about batman 40 thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week